Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Today is Thursday, September 23rd, 2021. Coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. More pressure being applied to President Joe Biden's administration dealing with the Haitian migrant crisis. You've got his Haitian envoy resigns in protest, blasting the American policy. You have the Congressional Black Caucus demanding answers. We'll be joined by Congresswoman Frederica Wilson and also Congresswoman Yvette Clark. You also have black activists right now gathering supplies in Dallas, traveling to Del Rio, Texas as well. You also have uh, the Haitian uh, government also saying, hey, slow down the deportations so they can also have time to catch up. Folks, we got all of these areas covered and Press Secretary Jen Psaki taking tough questions from black journalists at the White House. We got it all broken down. We have it for you right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Also on today's show, black and missing mainstream media all of a sudden discovers missing black people. They're the damn problem because they've been focusing on missing white folks. We will talk with the family 
of one young man who has been missing for quite some time. And also, some horrible news, another brother, Jelani Day, his body found today in the Illinois River uh, in that state. During closing arguments during the R. Kelly trial, R. Kelly's lawyer compares the singer to Martin Luther King Jr. What the hell is that about? Also, more life and legacy of Melvin Van Peebles. We'll hear from filmmaker Nelson George, also filmmaker um, Michael Schultz, who directed Car Wash, and a heartfelt video from his son, Mario Van Peebles. It is time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Far too many weak answers coming from the Biden administration as it relates to the Haitian migrant crisis happening on the Texas border. They continue to deport folks. They also are having more challenge them on their policy. When it came to Border Patrol using horse, horse reins to whip uh, those individuals, uh, the cops involved place an administrative lead, but also what is America's policy in the treatment of Haitians? Why do we see a continuation of Haitians being treated far differently than Afghan refugees or even Cubans. We got a comprehensive coverage uh, on today's show. Joining us right now is Congresswoman Frederica Wilson out of Florida. Congresswoman, glad to have you on the show. Uh, I have been asking that question repeatedly. We know this goes back to the administration of President Jimmy Carter as to why America treats Haitians differently from Cubans and how they're being treated uh, right now on the border. What answers have you gotten from Vice President Kamala Harris, from President Joe Biden, from, uh, from, uh, from, uh, from others as well? Well, uh, it is very clear, and it has always been clear, that there's a difference between the way they treat all black uh, immigrants uh, versus white immigrants. So there's racism at the border. It's always been there. And as the Congressional Black Caucus moves forward, we're trying to address that. Right now, we are demanding that uh, all deportations to Haiti cease, stop right now. No one needs to be deported to Haiti. Haiti cannot receive any repatriated people at this time. Haiti is, in not, is not in the condition to receive anyone. And uh, I see them moving uh, people now on the airplane, going back to Haiti. Many of them do not even know that they're going to go back to Haiti. They have not just left Haiti. They have just left Chile. They've left other Central American countries. And some of them just speak Spanish. So this is 10 and 15 years ago, and they're repatriating these people to Haiti, and it must stop now. I am pissed. That's my new word. Pissed.
beyond, beyond my uh, reservation. I am stunned that we are experiencing this under a Democratic president. This makes no sense. Now, you see the continuation of the policies of Donald Trump uh, when it comes to uh, Title 42, the usage of that. Uh, President Biden, then we was running, said he was going to be treating uh, uh, Haitians more humanely. What the hell happened? Well, it is my understanding that this, this surge came as a surprise. They were not prepared for the surge. They were not ready for them as far as shelter, as far as food, as far as uh, uh, a water, clean water, sanitation. They just came. And what is going on? There is a cottage industry of criminals who have created this, uh, I guess you would say, misinformation across uh, the Western Hemisphere saying, you see, the Afghans were let in. They have opened the border. Just come, come, pay us. We will bring you. And so these people, the money that they have saved and they were sending it back to Haiti, they're using that money to travel with these, uh, uh, these people to the border. So they're being hoodwinked to think that the border is open. However, now that they are there, this has turned into a humanitarian crisis for the United States. The optics around the world is not good for the White House. So they need to solve this problem today. And it begins with stabilizing Haiti. You cannot deport anyone back to Haiti or anyone to Haiti without stabilizing Haiti. And they have not done that. So they need to give these uh, Haitian nationals uh, an asylum hearing, a date, carry them through the process. And if some of them are wearing ankle braces, it is my understanding. Some we have welcomed here in Miami, but it's still not enough. So we're asking the faith-based community to reach out, to offer them uh, the ability to be their sponsors, because I believe those who have sponsors, they're allowing, uh, to, they're allowing them to be released in the United States and giving them a court date. Uh, they have separated the children and put them on the health and human services because unaccompanied children have uh, other guidelines that they're under. Who they are repatriating are black men, who we need here in America. There are enough jobs, there are enough places who will welcome them, and they need to stop repatriating them. Some of these people have not been in Haiti for 15 years. They left to go and work in Chile and Brazil for the World Cup, and they have not returned. So when those jobs dried up, there was racism in Chile, racism in Brazil. So they didn't have any jobs, and when they begin to get this information, 
that they could come to the United States. The border was open. They started on this trek, and it's 4,000 miles from Chile to the border where they are. So this is, this is a crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis, and it has to be solved today. One of the things that we have not heard, I'm going to play a little bit later, Yamiche Alcindor of PBS was asking Jen Psaki, why haven't we heard President Biden on this? Uh, this, is one of the, this is one of those moments where, uh, you know, this has been going on for quite some time. We've been reporting on it every single day. We've asked the administration every single day, send someone onto this show to explain what's going on. They have not done so thus far. Uh, and so is it a time for the president for President Biden, not Press Secretary Jen Psaki, not Vice President Kamala Harris, for President Biden to come out and speak to the nation, speak publicly on this? Uh, when the president of Haiti was murdered, I requested that the president have a fireside chat with the people of Haiti. That was long before this. So now that all, coupled with that, the earthquake, the hurricane, and this deportation debacle? Definitely. It is time. It's long overdue. All right, Congresswoman Frederica Wilson, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much for joining us. Um, and hopefully we'll have a, a resolution to this issue soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. All right, and, and do this, and be sure to send me a text uh, so I can have your, uh, my number ain't changed, so I need to get your new number. So just send me a text. Okay. All right. Love the hat. All right. Take care. Folks, today, uh, as I said, Michelle Sandero uh, was questioning uh, Jen Psaki, the press secretary. It got a little heated. Here's this exchange today, the White House briefing room. Go ahead, Yamish. Thanks, Chad. A couple of questions about Haiti. Um, the first is the, the president has often used his bully pulpit during the most important times in his administration. Why is he not using that bully pulpit to speak out forcefully himself on the treatment of patients? I would say, Yamish, um, certainly I've represented to you all his point of view. Uh, his point of view is also reflected in the actions that have been taken through the administration, including the investigation, including the change in policy. Uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security oversees these efforts um, and has been quite outspoken and quite visible on what steps we should take moving forward. And he certainly may still speak to it. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of events happening here, including the, the UN General Assembly, COVID, and others, and uh, I, I wouldn't rule that out. And just to say, respectfully, I, I just have a couple more questions. Everyone else got sure. questions in. Respectfully, I understand that you are the spokesperson for the president. These are images that are traumatizing Haitian Americans that he promised to treat respectfully and, and with humanity. Why isn't the president telling people himself these images that people say look like slavery are wrong? Me as president, I as president, condemn them. How is he not doing that? Why is he not doing that? And, and how, what are people supposed to take away from the fact that he's not at the bully pole but himself talking about these images? I think people should take away that his actions make clear how horrible and horrific he thinks these images are, including an investigation, including a change of policy, uh, including conveying clearly that this is not acceptable and this is he's not going to stand for this in the Biden-Harris administration. Our actions make that 
absolutely crystal clear, as have our engagements with a range of voices, a range of concerned advocates, members of Congress, and others who we want to communicate with, not just about our horror, but also about what our immigration policy is moving forward. Also said in his letter, he called the, pre the, the U.S. policy inhumane, deeply flawed. Does the president believe anything in this letter that Daniel Foote is saying rings true, has some sort of point that he, that he believes is, is true? Which aspect? He called the, 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 he called the, the policy toward Haiti inhumane. He said that he wasn't specific in his letter. What I noted earlier before, what I noted earlier, let me finish, Yamish. What I noted earlier before is that we have taken very specific actions as it relates to the horrific photos that we that are not we're not going to stand for in this administration. I don't know if he was referring to that or something else. That's why I asked the, raise the point. His purview. Let me finish, Yamish. His purview was not about migration. He didn't raise his concerns about migration privately. We respect his point of view, respect his ability to bring forward concerns, to raise ideas, to raise proposals. That's certainly something the president welcomes from everybody on his team and something that he had the opportunity to do in a range of meetings. We also have to make decisions here based on what we feel are going to help promote democracy in Haiti, including uh, Haitian-led uh, reforms, Haitian-led steps on the ground to make changes in the country. A number of people who say that he did raise concerns over the deportation of Haitians and the treatment of Haitians. Are you saying then that Daniel Foote is not telling the truth in this letter? I, I would point you to the State Department, uh, who have conveyed clearly in their statement what I just said. I promise. Yeah. The, the last question is, Daniel Foote, the, special, the former special envoy to Haiti, he's raising this idea that the U.S. should be listening to Haitian civil society, not backing the, the current prime minister who was not elected by the people. What's the president's response to that? Because those civil society members have been telling me and other reporters for months, even before the assassination of the president, that President Biden was not listening to the people of Haiti about how to move forward with their government. We support a Haitian-led process charting the country's course through the current political situation. We don't back any one political group, and we continue to continue to encourage all political stakeholders to engage in dialogue and find solutions together. And that has been our objective through all of our policy process making throughout the course of this, in addition to providing a range of assistance, training to, uh, to people on the ground. Go ahead. Now, folks, uh, again, let's talk about that Haitian envoy uh, in his resignation letter uh, to Secretary of State Anthony Bleakin. Daniel Foote uh, says the inhumane and counterproductive decision to deport thousands of Haitian refugees have led to this e his immediate resignation. This is uh, the letter here uh, that he that he lays out. First of all, uh, I, I don't want to go to that first, folks. Uh, I'm going to go this here. We should. I would, I'd rather have the whole letter. Uh, I want to do this here. Let me pull up because I want to show the, the, the lead, the lead paragraph, uh, which is which is the most important, because uh, he he gets right to the issue uh, uh, quite quickly uh, in this here. And this is what he says. Come to my computer, please. This is what he says. Our policy approach to Haiti remains deeply flawed. And my recommendations have been ignored and dismissed when not edited to project a narrative different from my own. 
the people of Haiti mired in poverty, hostage to the terror, kidnappings, robberies, and massacres of armed gangs, and suffering under a corrupt government with gang alliances simply cannot support the forced infusion of thousands of returned migrants lacking food, shelter, and money without additional avoidable human tragedy. The collapsed state is unable to provide security or basic services, and more refugees will fuel further desperation and crime. Surging migration to our borders will only grow as we add to Haiti's unacceptable misery. Haitians need immediate assistance to restore the government's ability to neutralize the gangs and restore order through the national police. They need a true agreement across society and political actors with international support to chart a timely path to the democratic selection of their next president and parliament. They need humanitarian assistance, money to deliver COVID vaccines, and so many other things. But what our Haitian friends really want and need is the opportunity to chart their own course without international puppeteering and favored candidates, but with genuine support for that course. I do not believe that Haiti can enjoy stability until her citizens have the dignity of truly choosing their own leaders fairly and acceptably. Last week, the U.S. and other embassies in Port-au-Prince issued another public statement of support for the unelected de facto prime minister, Dr. Ariel Henry. And I'm going to pull up this uh, second piece right here. Uh, he said, as interim leader of Haiti and have continued to tout his, quote, political agreement over another broader earlier accord shepherded by civil society. The, hub the hubris that makes us believe that we should pick the winner again is impressive. This cycle of international political interventions in Haiti has consistently produced catastrophic results. More negative impacts to Haiti will have calamitous consequences, not only in Haiti, but in the U.S. and our neighbors in the hemisphere. Signed, Daniel Foote, and he will, of course, he sent it to the Undersecretary for Political Affairs, the Assistant Secretary for Western Hemisphere Affairs, the Acting Director General, uh, Congressman Gregory Meeks, Chair of the U.S. House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee, and Congressman Andy Levin, House of Representatives. I've seen a lot of resignation letters, uh, Dr. Greg Carr, uh, but very few have been that blunt in resigning in protest from the State Department. Well, it's always good to be uh, with you and with everyone on Thursdays rolling uh, weekly, but, you know, this is a particularly heavy week. And another reason why Black Star Network is so important, this, is, this story is going to be covered a lot of places, but it won't be covered anywhere like this. Uh, Daniel Foote basically is a traitor. He's a traitor to the American project in this moment. Uh, they threw him under the bus. This is a career diplomat. He joined the Department of State in 1998. Uh, he has been stationed in Zambia. Uh, he has worked in Central America. He has done Bolivia, other places, Latin America. And he's only been in Haiti as a special envoy since the end of July, when Moise was killed, the, the prime minister. But they installed Ariel Henry. You see, the United States government installed Ariel Henry. You see, the, the Biden administration installed Ariel Henry to do exactly what he is doing. And the response from uh, Ned Price, who's a spokesperson from the State Department, to uh, Mr. Foote's uh, allegation that his recommendations have been cast aside, he said, no, we didn't cast them aside. We considered them and considered that they were, quote, this is the Biden administration, 
quote, harmful to our commitment to the promotion of democracy in Haiti, and uh, were rejected his recommendations during the policy process. They're in bed with, they stood him up with the Organization of American States. They're in bed with this cat. They're not just ignoring civil society. They don't want the Haitian people in charge of Haiti. Joe Biden, you mummy. And so as they have mounted up, as they've mounted now, uh, as many as seven flights now, they've ramped them up. These flights have about 145 people apiece. And we heard Congresswoman uh, Wilson talk about this. Some of the people have been in Latin America for over a decade. They left after the earthquake in Haiti in 2010. They went to work in the World Cup in Brazil in 2014. The racist Brazilian government, which ended up with Balanzaro there now, began to expel them. That's why they ended up in Chile. And as she said, they have been assaulted. There have been rapes. There's been robbery and thieves and people lying and saying to be trade for this money to bring them to the Texas border. And what is the Biden administration doing under this Title 42 uh, piece that the Trump administration started? Joe Biden, they've been using the excuse that we're deporting people because of COVID, and they appealed a federal ruling that said you can't use that excuse. The Biden administration just appealed that. They are deporting people, and they're going to try to deport as many of them as they can or turn them back to Mexico, release some into the United States. But foot apparently rolling finally, brother, he's had enough. This is a career civil servant, a member of the senior diplomatic corps, who looks as if he has had enough. And when Jen Psaki stood there and lied to the face of Yamisi Alcinder, whose parents came here from Haiti, who grew up in Miami, who talks about that, I'm sure it was very personal for that sister today in that room, they revealed that this no-good settler state don't give a damn about black people, and that includes Joe Biden. Uh, Reese Culver, Black Women of Views. Um, uh, what's really interesting here um, uh, when we talk about uh, what's going on here is... Yes, there is an expectation that a President Joe Biden was going to treat folks differently than Donald Trump did. Mm -hmm. And Joe Biden has got some answering to do to black people. Absolutely. And I think he is, you know, really passing the buck on this and kind of going and hiding instead of, you know, making, using his bully pulpit, as you, Michelle Sindora pointed out, to make a strong, forceful statement about this. I mean, he has been missing in action in terms of really speaking out forcefully about how inhumane and unacceptable this treatment is that we saw towards these Haitian migrants. And, you know, I think part of the problem is that, you know, he hasn't figured out yet what his overarching policy is going to be on immigration. He kind of got a, a get-out-of-jail-free card by passing the buck and, and, and allowing this narrative that Vice President Kamala Harris is over the borders and over immigration, even though she had a very narrow assignment for diplomacy and tour with the Northern Triangle nations and not over the border. But he let her take all the daggers since the announcement was made in March on immigration. Well, now the buck is stop needs to stop with the president, the person who actually um, is over this policy. His administration, his secretaries are the ones that are appealing this ruling in, in Title 42. And so it's time for him to speak out. But I think the problem is that as a nation, we also haven't decided what we want to be when it comes to immigration. We saw Donald Trump, the last president, who was talking about build a wall, 
and he was so anti-immigrant, so anti-refugee, and yet he improved his performance with Latinos in 2020. And even in 2018, the Republicans made gains. And so we don't have a mandate within the party. We don't have a mandate within the country on how we want to treat um, immigrants, just the same way we are not treating black citizens with as first as first class citizens look at what's happening with voting suppression and rights all around the country and so this is just another indication of the fact that we as a country have not grappled with who we want to be and as a result we continue to be who we have always been which is inhumane treating black people whether they're immigrants whether they're black citizens as second class citizens and inflicting more pain and horror and there's absolutely no reason to be quote unquote repatriating Haitian migrants and refugees back to a homeland. It's their original homeland, but places they have not been for over a decade. So there are so many flaws in this, but I also have to point out, I know people don't want to hear about logistics and facts, but there is a logistical aspect here that needs to be addressed as well. Maybe this is something that Congress can work on. The fact of the matter is there are over 300,000 asylum, open asylum cases. These are people that have already passed the first threshold that are working their way through the system. They only approve about 30,000 a year. At the rate of approval, it's going to take four years to get through all of the open asylum cases. You have one mm -hmm. point, over 1 million quote-unquote open removal cases where they've determined that these folks need to be deported. And there's a huge backlog with that. So we have an immigration system that is completely broken. Even if you don't even take into, a fact, take, to, take into account the racism and the disparities with how different groups are treated, there's still a very, very broken immigration system that has to be fixed and has to be addressed so that people who do come here can be processed in an orderly fashion instead of there being chaos and instead of them saying, well, look at the optics of a bunch of, uh, of, of 10,000 people under a bridge. We need to solve those optics instead of solving the humanitarian process, uh, crisis that we're dealing with. So this is a very layered issue. I don't have the expertise to talk about U.S., Haiti, you you know, government interfering in, in, in all that nature and all that stuff. But I will say that this is a very layered, layered thing, and it's an emotionally charged and traumatic thing that we're looking at. But there are so many issues that need to be addressed that aren't even a part of the conversation yet. Um, Roger, before I go to you, would you and my Congresswoman Yvette Clark uh, of New York? Congresswoman Clark, glad to have you here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You represent uh, a number of Haitians uh, in your district, a number of Haitian Americans. Uh, what are they saying to you? What are you hearing from them regarding uh, this crisis on the Texas border? Me, Roland, they are distraught, but they are not dissuaded. They are energized to do whatever they must do, what we must do to make sure that, one, there's accountability with the Department of Homeland Security and Border Patrol, but two, most importantly, that uh, the Haitian migrants are given the same due process that all of the migrants seeking uh, refugee status, asylum in the United States are afforded. We are very focused. Uh, of course, it is a traumatic thing to watch uh, people of African descent, black people, Haitian people treated in the way that we have seen. We know that this migration is a culmination of a number of very complex situations, and it is up to us uh, as Americans to stand up uh, for the creed that uh, we are accepting 
of all people uh, in our nation, that asylum is something that uh, has been at the heart of who we are as a people. So my constituency, while disappointed, while uh, very uh, just angry and distraught over what has transpired, are energized to make sure that there is justice at the end of the day. Um, this is, of course, Democratic administration. Bottom line is, uh, if this was Donald Trump, uh, folks would be raising holy hell all up, up and down. Uh, as far as we're concerned, there's no difference. How, how these black uh, migrants are being treated is wrong, uh, and President Joe Biden needs to say something. He needs to be seen speaking. We've heard from Vice President, Vice President Kamala Harris. We've heard from Press Secretary Jen Psaki. We've heard from uh, CBC members, uh, Congressman Joyce Beatty, the chair, and so many others. Um, when is he going to say something uh, that speaks to this issue? Because he pledged to treat uh, migrants uh, humanely when he was running for president. Well, now he's in the office. Well, it's my hope that he's hearing the outcry of the people. Certainly, uh, we went to the White House to make it plain to them, we being members of the Congressional Black Caucus, me being the head of the Immigration Task Force, uh, co-chair of the Caribbean Caucus and co-chair of the Haiti Caucus in the House of Representatives, I've made it unequivocally clear that uh, what we have experienced as people of African descent was amplified in terms of the marginalization and brutality against black bodies that we witnessed with this Border Patrol, these Border Patrol agents. We have asked that these Border Patrol agents uh, be held accountable. And as far as I'm concerned, that means dismissed. Uh, and that there are a whole host of other actions that need to be taken by this administration. So we recognize that this was a digression that can be overcome. Right now, we've asked for the halt of any more repatriation of Haitian nationals back to Haiti. And again, that there be due process for those who are seeking refuge and asylum in the United States of America. I've seen the administration begin to move in that direction. I'm holding them accountable each and every day. As you know, we want accountability, we want transparency, and uh, most of all, we want our people to be treated with human dignity. Um, Congresswoman Yvette Clark, uh, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Roland, and thank you for being on top of this issue, as I know you would have been. But this is something we cannot abide with. Uh, as Americans, as African Americans, as Black Americans, and in my case, as a Caribbean American, this strikes at the heart of who we are as a nation, and this will not be the final word. There's much more that needs to be done, not only for these migrants, but for the island nation of Haiti. And uh, I intend to be on the front lines and leading that charge. So thank you once again, uh, and I appreciate the attention you're giving to this issue, Roland. Thank uh, you so much. I appreciate much. it. Thank you so very much. All right, Roger Mohammed, uh, your thoughts uh, on all of this? Uh, it is certainly uh, increasing. It's a problem. Uh, we are seeing this uh, all across. Uh, we're seeing, of course, activists uh, work to 
pulled together, um, pulled together uh, resources. They're doing that in Dallas as we speak. We're gonna be, we're gonna try to get mm -hmm. uh, Tamika Mallory, uh, Reverend Freddie, Freddie Haynes uh, on the line as well. They're gonna be, they're gonna be driving supplies and resources down uh, to Del Rio. I saw Pastor Jamal Bryan and others are gonna be heading down there as well. Uh, Biden administration has got a problem, and I don't know who the hell is advising them, but they better fix it real quick. Oh, no doubt, Brother Roland. And, and, and this is why it's important for us to even have this conversation, uh, because uh, one of the big questions I was going to, you know, uh, would ask any black uh, political leader, whether it was Representative Wilson or Congresswoman, uh, Congressperson, Congresswoman Clark, you know, is what should the average black American do right now? Uh, what should be done? Because I see Jay Morrison, other folks are talking about hitting the Del Rio what about those of us at home? How do we help? How do we support? How do we get involved? How do we offer our, you know, our services or whatever that can be done? I think that's a, that's a big question for us to create the sense of camaraderie, brotherhood and sisterhood among the people. But the other thing I think is very interesting, too, Brother Roland, is the fact that AP News um, reported this, that the criteria for deciding who is flown to Haiti and who is released in the U.S. are a mystery. According to the AP, they said two officials said single adults were a priority, and they said that if previous handling of asylum seekers is any guide, the administration is more likely to release those deemed vulnerable, including present pregnant women, families with young children, and those with medical issues, and uh, exempt unaccompanied children from expulsion flights on humanitarian grounds. Now, that's based on the previous policy. But that's not determining. That doesn't speak to where we are at the present moment. And I love what Reese had said in terms of where we are in this country on immigration. We know that there is a deep, deep level of racism in, when it comes to immigration in this country that we afford to white immigrants and migrants versus black immigrants and migrants. And I, and I think that's the problem. I think that's the problem. But we can't talk about that longstanding issue right now because we got thousands of people living under a bridge in Texas. So we have to ask the questions, you know, what, why isn't there a criteria? What should the criteria be at this point? Press the president, as folks have been saying, continue to, to get people involved. But I, I really would love to see, the, you know, our brothers and sisters down in Texas, see what kind of support can we give them. And I'm talking about those who are in Houston, those who are in other parts, your hometown, Roland. I mean, what can we do as a people on this side of the conversation, how can we be supportive in this effort? Well, first of all, those things are happening. I mean, literally, as, as we're, uh, as I'm sitting here, um, as, we're t as we're talking to folks uh, and, uh, and going through this um, um, is, uh, give me one second, I'm, I'm literally uh, texting um, uh, Linda Sarsour, uh, Reverend Freddie Haynes, and Tamika Mallory with, uh, of course, Until Freedom, uh, what they are doing, um, um, there is, they're having some supplies. First of all, pulling together supplies and resources. Uh, and uh, one of the things that um, Linda just said is we have an, um, we, we now have an 18 axle truck that we don't even know what to do with, plus the first truck we had. Uh, mm. People, um, she said, people were just waiting for folks to tell them how to help. So that's happening. But the issue that, of course, that, 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 that you're gonna have is, if people all of a sudden just start sending stuff, you got to right, have a place right. to send it to. Right. Well, you can't. Right. And so the problem here is, right. folks are going down the Del Rio. But here's the first question: Are those goods supplies going to be able to get to the people? 
What do you no, do right. with it? And so you go down, what do you do? And so it's the same thing when you get the earth, earthquake. Our whole deal was we will tell you where to send stuff, but it's got to go to the right place. Greg, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just rolling to the point. And, and I am equipped to have this conversation about U.S. interference in policy of Haiti and the government. And all these things are true at the same time. There, there isn't a broken immigration system in this country, particularly since 1965, the Immigration and Naturalization Act. What there is, is a determined attempt to curate who gets to come in this country and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. It's not broken. It, it's not broken at all. In fact, it, it, it is a spigot that has always been controlled as far back as the 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act to keep this country white. Now, in terms of the U.S. policy toward Haiti, the Biden administration is following in the footsteps, as you have said, Roland, of every administration going back to right. the damn Haitian Revolution when it comes to regulating how Haiti fits in the geopolitics of this hemisphere so that the corporate interests in Haiti, I'm talking about the people who make the draws and the baseballs in both the Haiti and Dominican Republic, uh, that is what is informing the fact that after the assassination of Moise, when this guy went down there as Biden's emissary, the special envoy, in July, to now, they took out the person that the Haitian, the remnants of the Haitian government decided, you be the leader until we get... The Biden administration was like, no. They vetted Henry, Dr. Henry, along with the Organization of American States, none of this is hidden. It takes maybe a few keystrokes and a couple of conversations to see. And so as people in the United States want to send aid, the folk who are down there under the bridge at Del Rio, access has been blocked by the local police and the federal government. It's important to understand. Also, that number is shrinking decidedly. Why? Because they are flying people back. At last count I had, right, and you may right, have more recently, right. there are less than 4,000 people down there now. There are 3.2,000 people in custody. There are over 1,400 who have been returned, whether they're sent back to Mexico or even, depending yeah. on their papers, back to the sources of where they came from. And the flights, as many as now, seven a week, up, up, this, this, this uptick by the Biden administration, are landing at Toussaint Louverture, People are getting off the plane and, in one case, tried to fight the ICE people to get back on the plane, come back to the United States, because they have nothing in Haiti. Now, the only other thing I'll say is that this is not unrelated. There, I know people get tired of me hearing me saying, but it's okay. Do a little research. There is no we in this country. There's no moral core in this country. There's no, there's no we're, we're better than this. The sitting vice president of the United States made a statement. This is after the damn Democratic Party gave the right wing talking points by showing her at the Howard Hampton football game Saturday, combining it with these Haitians under the bridge and basically uh, revealing the fact that the Biden administration set her up in the first place by, as you say, Reese, saddling her with this idea that you would control the border, which was never supposed to include all this. But at the end of the day, even the vice president has said something right now. We are all Haitians. One of the most encouraging things I've seen in this and that I think we've seen in this is that we have set aside all our little petty differences about where the black people come from. We kind of little Africans. Yeah. You heard Yvette Clark. You heard Frederick Wilson. We are yeah. all Haitians. And that cracker on that horse with that whip, bring it, baby, because your little country's falling apart. You're going to whip the right one in a minute. Y'all real close now. You're taking another step closer to the dissolution of this settler project. There's nothing broken in this country.
There's nothing broken in this country. This is an anti-black project. And we're seeing another example of it today in Texas. Uh, well, when you talk about um, how this, this, this view of whiteness, uh, and I've told y'all about uh, this white supremacist, uh, Charlie Kirk, uh, big time Trump uh, person. Uh, listen to what he said about what should be happening with the border dealing with Haitians. Listen. Of course, that's a lie. We know that's not true. You have pictures of people that have pieces of paper that says, please help us. I do not speak English. What bus do I need to take? Thanks for your help. As they get released into the interior of the United States. Bill Malusian is saying they are releasing entire family units into the United States. Now, some people are saying I'm being too harsh on Texas. Well, Texas, whether they like it or not, are front and center smack dab in the middle of the great question of our time, which is who runs the country? What do you do when you start to have a apathetic tyrant now apathetic when it comes to immigration law but very engaged when it comes towards forcing vaccinations what do you do i know so many amazing patriots in the great state of texas and i love texas that have been waiting and are willing for this moment deputize a citizen force put them on the border give them handcuffs get it done sure that's dramatic you know it's dramatic the invasion of the country we're going to talk more about that. We're going to talk about how the other side is, has openly admitted that this is about bringing in voters that they want and they like and honestly diminishing and decreasing white demographics in America. We're going to say that part out loud because so many people in the corporate media are afraid to talk about it. Charlie Kirk here. Check out the Charlie Kirk Show podcast. Be right back. No, Charlie, we aren't afraid to talk about what you white nationalists have been saying and want to do because we've been calling that out. First of all, let's just be clear. You can't blame what's happening with decreasing white folks on migrants. Y'all the ones who stop screwing. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't blame. I mean, I mean, I mean, Charlie, I know you dumb. I mean, I, I know you, I know, wow. I, know wow. Can, I know Candace Owens makes you look like a Rhodes Scholar. Mm. But just, let me just show you a couple of things um, here, uh, Charlie, that, that probably you had know nothing about because aren't you also like a college dropout? Uh, just like Candace. Um, let's see here. <laughs> We're going to type in here. Go to my computer, please. Uh, declining white birth rates in America. What comes up? Hmm, right here. White deaths exceed births in a majority of U.S. states. Oh, let me go ahead and increase this here. In 2016, more non-Hispanic whites died than were born in 26 states, more than at any time in U.S. history. See, Charlie, y'all the ones who are not screwing. And that's really what the pushback, Reese, 
Taraji and Greg is all about. Mm -hmm. They are, oh my God. We're, we're losing this. The demographic numbers, that's the whole deal. The opioid crisis made it worse. White life expectancy dropped. COVID's mm -hmm. making it worse, dropping. That's why every time one of these uh, white anti-vaxxers, white anti-707 uh, uh, conservative radio talk show hosts, bye, they gone. They dead. <laughs> right. That's what's going on here. And so what they're doing is taking it out on people of color. And the problem is that President Joe Biden and too many Democrats are so scared of Republicans. Oh my God, oh my God. They're criticizing us over immigration. Oh, then you have this white nationalist, Tucker Carlson on Fox News, leading the charge every single night saying stuff like this. An unrelenting stream of immigration. But why? Well, Joe Biden just said it, to change the racial mix of the country. That's the reason, to reduce the political power of people whose ancestors lived here and dramatically increase the proportion of Americans newly arrived from the third world. And then Biden went further. He said that non-white DNA is the, quote, source of our strength. Imagine saying that. This is the language of eugenics. It's horrifying. But there's a reason Biden said it. In political terms, this policy is called the Great Replacement, the replacement of legacy Americans with more obedient people from faraway countries. They brag about it all the time. But if you dare to say it's happening, they will scream at you with maximum hysteria. And here you have Joe Biden confirming his motive on tape with a smile on his face. Legacy Americans. Hmm. Go ahead, Faraji. What, what is he I'm, talking? I'm blown away. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I'm blown away by this whole thing. But you, you know, I think that you know this whole idea that this is a, a, a mass, uh, you know, as Tucker Carlson said, mass movement to to decline the white population. This is straight out of something. This is white paranoia. This is white fear, um, because America is coming to a reckoning in this whole country. I mean, this whole world is coming to a reckoning that. White supremacy is dying, mm -hmm. and you're seeing people rise up. No, 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 no. That's a mistake we make. White supremacy what? is not. No, 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 no. White supremacy is not dying. More whites are dying. <laughs> no, that's no, a no, difference. No, no, no. And, and here's why I say white supremacy is dying. The belief in white supremacy is dying. That is, people are starting to rebel against that idea Who? of this. Black people, brown people no. across this country, no. around this world. No, 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 no. See, no, no. Got to correct you, my brother. Here's why. Go ahead. Here's why. You. By 2043, by 2043, okay, America will be a nation majority of people of color. But right. you, but that's 53% black, Latino, Asian, Native American, 47% white. The problem is you have an increasing number of Latinos who are identifying as white. Yeah. So, yes, so, 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 they are identifying as white right now. No, hold but up. Then no. You also have an emergent, also, brother Roland. You also have an emerging number of Latinos and Hispanics who are pushing for not an identification with white, but they want to be placed in a different category in their own independent category. Oh, I'm, I'm, tell, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, 
Here's the deal. We're seeing it play out in Texas right now. There, in the last election, you had some Texas counties that were uh, that were uh, Hispanic counties saw a mm -hmm. two to three hundred percent increase for Donald Trump over Joe Biden. Well, sure. Follow me here. Follow me here. What I'm saying is this here. Reese yeah. raised the point earlier. How in the hell you saw an increase in Latino voting for Trump uh, 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 over Biden? It's because yeah. you have we, we got to deal with it. You have an increasing number of Latinos slash Hispanics, depending upon what part of the country you're in, who identify as white, white right. values, white right. view of America, and don't, and, and, and don't feel for us. And so when we talk about black and brown coalition, we got to understand. And of course, I, I saw, I have seen this with my own eyes and my experience in Texas. There's a difference between somebody who is from Mexico, there's somebody from Peru, there's somebody from Venezuela, somebody from, from uh, Nicaragua, somebody from Colombia. And so the values aren't the same. So you got some folks who come over here and they're like, no, nah, I'm white. But for that contract and for college, I'm brown, but right. I'm white. So right. there's, a, there's a dynamic at play here that we got to own up to. And I agree with you. And I only and I'm just and I'm just simply saying that even in with that dynamic at play, Brother Roland, the fact is people are tired of white people exerting their force, white people saying that they're better. That whole idea that white people should be in the leadership role, white people should be empowered. People are pushing back on that. We're seeing that literally every single day in this country. So what that other radio hosts and Tucker Carlson are afraid of is they're seeing their world going down and it's crumbling because the belief system that keeps this world up is, 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 is flawed and is now being seen as a way to keep people slaves rather than masters of their own fate. Greg, go ahead. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I think a number of these things work in tandem. The real mm -hmm. villain of this piece is the nation state. Anytime you begin to parcel out rights and resources based on where you came out of your mother's womb, in other words, the concept of citizenship, you then enter people in a version of the Hunger Games. So mm -hmm. we have, we'll have a majority non-white country, but white people will then become the largest minority group in the country. And what holds whiteness together is anti-blackness. Uh, the hope for this country, and, and I don't have very much hope for it, and that's okay, because they have hope for humanity. We have to understand nation-state is a recent phenomenon in world history. But the hope for this country would be to ultimately abandon race logics. Charlie Kirk, who I would love to meet at the border, if he had the manhood to screw his little courage up and grab a whip and join him, I would love to join him down there and have a nice little dialogue. It would probably last about maybe the seconds it would take for me to erase all his bridge work with my fist. But we know he's not going anywhere near the border, so that would never happen. Charlie Cook and, and, and Kirk and the young, uh, the youngish-looking uh, Tucker Carlson know very well that what they're doing is rallying the only thing mm -hmm. that whiteness together which is anti-blackness. And they're doing it exactly as you said, this, uh, to, to quote Francis Cress Welsing and others, the uh, public enemy, the fear of a black planet. Now, at the same time, there is nothing, as you said, Roland, there's nothing binding those who speak Spanish together. So, as you said, that, 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 that caravan that left Latin America and came through Central America over those thousands of miles Representative Wilson talked about included Venezuelans, 
included some Cubans, included folk from other countries in Latin America, in addition to Haiti, included Dominicans. Dominican Republic and Haiti absurdly on the same island, but they were divided by a white nationalist project, this international, you know, notion of whiteness. But but ways I'm bringing it all together is once you reach the United States, you acquire, if you can get it, a version of enhanced humanity that we call citizenship. This is the problem. It's not just a U.S. problem. It's a global problem. Once you become mm -hmm. or have access to American citizenship, you will do anything to preserve it maintain it and extend it because it comes at the expense of other people in the hemisphere and in the world who have citizenship in these other imaginary places we call nation states. So you will have Cubans, white Cubans for sure, but increasingly non-white Cubans who will say, if my citizenship will be preserved by voting this way, I will. It isn't just values, although a lot of people who speak Spanish are Catholic. If you are in Texas, as you've just told us, uh, it, you don't even have to be a white Hispanic, so to speak. You could be a Hispanic who thinks it will benefit me if I can get to point the finger at somebody else and thereby get them to stop looking at me. This is the zero-sum of race. And so what we're mm -hmm. seeing now is a tipping point. We're in a country that never had a we. It isn't a nation. There are many different people in the borders of this nation state negotiating for themselves and the groups they come from to avoid last place, to use the work of the anthropologist Randy Mattori. But this moment, when you see this white boy on this horse and Maxine Waters evokes enslavement and Yamiche Alcindor goes after Jim Pashaki and she should have went after her with more barrels than even then she did. When Kamala Harris, who we can debate policy decisions, comes out and speaks as the sitting vice president, and the president of the United States is silent because he is still chasing them three imaginary white voters who are not going to return the Congress to the United States uh, <laughs> to, 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 the, to the Democrats in 2022, and he's going to lose the election in 2024 because the white party is unified around anti-us, and we are not unified because there's no logic in this country that unifies the non-whites because we're all too busy trying to avoid last place. This thing is headed hmm. for a fracture. Mm. And the thing mm. here, Reese, when it comes down to politics, mm. and um, I asked, um, you're going to hear in a second when I talk with Congresswoman Karen Bass, uh, Democratic Party, <laughs> you think you're going to hold on to the House and the Senate in 2022 without on, black man. people? Come on. Oh. Come on. They, they, I don't know, uh, Ron Klain, Chief of Staff, you might mm. want to wake up. Um, if I'm Susan Rice and Cedric Richmond, I'm walking to that Oval Office saying, say, bro, do you understand what you're doing? Yeah. No George Floyd Justice Act, no For the People Act, no John Lewis Act, this Haitian issue here. Oh, you asking for an ass whooping. Reese, go ahead before I go to break. Yeah, um, I do not look forward to 2022 and having to make the argument again, please vote like your life depend on it, blah, 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 when we're back in the same situation of not having results to show for it and only being able to show that it would have been worse had we picked the other guy. So there has to be some sort of come to Jesus moment. There has to be a reckoning. The Democratic Party has to figure out its identity and stick with it on immigration. And that identity cannot be appealing to white nationalism. 
to the point about white supremacy, there are plenty of people who are foot soldiers of white supremacy that are not white. Tim Scott is the one who tanked the uh, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act along with Manchin. Uh, we have the new Florida Surgeon General is a black man who just got rid of mask mandates and even quarantine mandates in schools. And so there are plenty of black people that we can identify that are foot soldiers of white supremacy. To Dr. Uh, to Dr. Carr's earlier point about the we with black people in this Haiti thing, I think that the images are so jarring and they're so transferable from something that's specific to Haitian migrants experiencing and something that that enslaved peoples in the United States and black people in the United States have experienced, that there is a shared trauma there. But I do have to point out that one of the most divisive and effective tactics that's been used to divide black people and our, degrade our political power is... I won't even name the name of the organizations, but y'all can fill in the blank. But they have used xenophobic um, yep. descendants of slaves as opposed yes. to immigrants. They've even and, been and, and now people. all of a sudden they trying to uh, they trying to sit here and cape for Haitian migrants. I'm like, sit y'all ass down. But the reason <laughs> for that is because it's an issue that can that is politically charged right. and can alienate black voters from the Democratic Party. So there are a lot of issues at play. We have xenophobia within the black community. I don't think there's an all good big kumbaya situation that's coming together just because of these images, but the images are universally abhorrent to anybody who has a conscience and a soul and understands that black peoples from across the diaspora have humanity. But we cannot ignore that we are still very much fractured. And even though we might come together to um, to 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 express our outrage towards the administration. That doesn't mean that we all have the same goals because there are some some people that actually do identify with. It's not it, Tucker Carlson and 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 Kirk called it the white replacement theory. But there is a there is a notion that they're taking our jobs and we have to take care of our own people and y'all are talking about letting letting them through. So there are a lot of things that we have to talk about. We can't just put a rosy picture on it like we're all in this together and we're all united. We have to deal with those with those issues within our community as well so that we can really harness our political power so that everybody in our community benefits. Folks, we got a lot more on today's show. I got to go to a break. Uh, coming up, uh, we're going to hear from Congresswoman Karen Bass. No George Floyd Justice Act. Where you at, Senator Tim Scott? I thought you were going to bring at least 10 Republicans with you. Mm. Same 10 Senator Joe Manchin is going to bring, huh? Yeah, I thought so. Uh, also, we're going to talk about black and missing. All of a sudden, white media now trying to do stories on why there's no coverage on black and missing because y'all punk ass is the one doing it. Because you basically got white bosses. Also, DOJ indicts uh, a white Louisiana state trooper for beating uh, a, a black man, a suspect. Uh, and we'll also talk to Omar Dorsey uh, of Queen Sugar and... More tributes for the great Melvin Band Peoples. You'll hear from author, documentarian Nelson George, as well as great director Michael Schultz, and an emotional video that Mario Band Peoples put out last night about his father. Folks, you're watching the Black Star Network. Be sure to da da download the app. If you don't have it, download it on all platforms. Uh, Apple, Android, Apple TV, uh, Android TV, Roku TV, Fire Stick, Xbox, Smart TV. Support Roland Martin Unfiltered by joining our Bring the Funk fan club, where your dollars make it possible for us to do what we do. Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zell, Roland at RolandSMartin.com. Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. I'll be back on Roland Martin Unfiltered, the Black Star Network, in a moment.
believe that people our age have lost the ability to focus the, the discipline on the art of organizing. The challenges, there's so many of them and they're complex and we need to be moving to address them. But I'm able to say, watch out Tiffany, I know this road. That is so freaking dope. <laughs> to be smart. Roland Martin's doing this every day. Oh, no punches! Thank you, Roland Martin, for always giving voice to the issues. Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again. The video looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. I gotta defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of the Black Star Network. I am rolling with rolling all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own, a black man. <laughs> Owns the show. Folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. Roland was amazing on that. Stay black. I love y'all. I can't commend you enough about this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having. Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be black on media and be scared. You dig? Hey, yo, peace, world. What's going on? It's the love king of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. The Department of Justice have indicted a former Louisiana state trooper for alleged excessive use of force against a black man. Jacob Brown is charged with a single count of deprivation of rights under color of law. The indictment alleges that on May 30, 2019, Brown assaulted uh, a gentleman by repeatedly striking him with a flashlight. If convicted, Brown faces a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison, three years of supervised release, and a fine of up to $250,000. Now, folks, uh, these are the sort of things that uh, propelled uh, Congress to move on the George Floyd Police Reform Act. Remember, President Biden said he wanted to sign that into law of the anniversary of the death of George Floyd, the one-year anniversary. That was in May. It passed. Democrats and Republicans have been negotiating. Uh, Senators Cory Booker, uh, as well as Senator Tim Scott, have been going back and forth, had lots of conversations, lots of negotiations going on uh, between the two. Well, guess what? Nothing has happened. Senator, there's no bill. Senator Tim Scott said he is disappointed with Democrats for the lack of willingness to compromise. Now, Listen to the this. Coming to an end. I am. I'm, I am disappointed about it. I've spent several months working on it, and frankly, uh, the amount of misinformation is is remarkable from the other side of the aisle. It is disappointing without much of a question. Yes, yeah, Senator Warren said this morning that talks aren't over on their end, but I know you said that they were the ones that walked away from the table here. Yeah, I mean, the, the concern, of course, is that what they'll try to do is find some executive order and or slide it into reconciliation in a very partisan fashion, and that's unfortunate and uh, likely. Uh, they both, in their statements, made it very clear that they're looking for a way to do this from a partisan perspective, unwilling to negotiate on behalf of the communities that need the help the most. They're going to just find, find a way to shove it into something in a very partisan They're going to pursue executive order in a partisan fashion. 
You mean like the executive order that you agreed with? That, that same one, the one you agreed with under Trump? Hmm, that's quite interesting. Uh, earlier today, I talked with Congresswoman Karen Bass, uh, who was involved in the negotiations on this. Um, she has a different take than what Senator Tim Scott just said. Listen to our interview. All right, Congresswoman Karen Bass of California, glad to have you here. I hate that uh, we don't have, have good news. We had you on before. There was a lot of hope that we were going to have the George Floyd Justice Act become reality. What happened? Well, I think, Roland, it was a question of never being able to get to yes. Um, the senator, Senator Scott, really a lot of it hinged on him because he was going to deliver the 10 Republican votes. And uh, Senator Booker, you know, compromised. He went off and, and negotiated a deal with the Fraternal Order of Police because Senator Scott said, if you can show me you can get law enforcement support, I'll be open to it. And uh, unfortunately, once it became public, the unions started going after each other. And uh, that blew that up. And, you know, I, I do have to qualify this by saying that the House of Representatives twice did our job. We passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act last year and this year. But I think Senators, Senator Booker just kind of threw in the towel yesterday because he felt that he could never get Senator Scott to say yes even having compromised all the way down to the bone. So, look, there are a lot of us, frankly, who said we had no faith there were going to be 10 Republicans. Now, you had Senator oh. Tim Scott and Senator Graham telling others, oh, they could bring 2025 along. And so the proof is in the pudding. Yeah, the proof is in the pudding. But, you know, Roland, I wasn't going to, I didn't have tons of faith. But when McConnell anointed Scott, to negotiate the deal and said, whatever deal you negotiate, we will make sure it gets across the finish line. That was tons of reason for us to have hope. I can't oh, no, 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 I, I agree. No, 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 no. Let me be clear. I, first of all, the, making the effort to negotiate to get a deal had to happen. Right. But my, 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 my point was, I felt no matter, no matter what y'all did, unless y'all just gave everything up, the Republicans were going to always just try to find some other excuse, you know, and in that, and, 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 and the thing is also, Sir Tim Scott hasn't come out, explained himself, explained any of this, uh, and the bottom line is what you just said. If McConnell said what you bring to us, we're going to put forth, nothing, you know, it's like, you know, again, lock it down, make it happen. Right, right, right. But I will tell you how far it went. <laughs> One, I told you that Senator... Booker negotiated a deal with the police that they agreed to. If that didn't work, we said, well, what about the Trump executive order? President Trump put that forward. It's still in effect. Uh, and, you know, when President Trump put it forward, we didn't like it because it was at the height of the protests last year. But frankly, given that momentum is gone and is actually reversed and in the opposite direction, Putting Trump's executive order into law this year looks different than it did last year, but Senator Scott was not able to agree to that. Now, that was President Trump's executive order with all branches of law enforcement supporting it. And so if you can't even agree to what is already in existence, then at that point you have to say that this is over, which is what so, Senator Booker did. So, so he, here's the dilemma that... 
that Democrats are in. Democrats control the House. The House, as you said, passed it twice. Uh, the Senate did not pass it, but Democrats have a 50, but it's a 50-50 tie in the United States Senate. Democrats have the White House. Um, I, I'm already hearing from people who have said no George Floyd Justice Act. We've seen what's happened with the Haitian and Texas border. No full people act. Uh, I'm hearing people say I'm not going to be excited uh, and interested in going out there uh, and, and voting uh, uh, next year. This is going to have serious ramifications for Democrats to, to keep control of the House and the Senate in 2022. So, you know, what are you telling the White House? What are you saying to uh, you know Majority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer uh, that look, folks, understand Black folks are not just going to sit here and look kindly on nothing actually getting passed. You know, you you couldn't be more right. I mean, this is a devastating law, loss. The most important thing to me is the fact that an average day, three people die at the hands of police. So if you think about George Floyd's murder to now, you're talking over a year, there's probably been around a thousand deaths involving officers. Now, I'm not saying all of them were like George Floyd. Some of them might have been appropriate in the sense that people might have been in the middle of a violent exchange. But without any transparency, without any accountability, with 18,000 police departments policing in 18,000 different ways, you know, it's really something that we were not able to bring about this change or voting rights uh, or any of the other initiatives. We have to spend the time and help people understand that the problem in the Senate, as you well know, is that having majority is not enough. You have to have supermajority. But I believe at some point you have to look at that and say, if we're in control of the rules, then maybe we need to change the rules. What's next? Um, you know, now we're hearing, oh, President, out of the White House, President Biden may take action using utilizing executive orders. We've, we asked that. We, we called on the administration to uh, use its power to the fullest. I will tell you that the administration, in particular, Susan Rice, the chair of the uh, head of the Domestic Policy Council, Cedric Richmond, were helpful every single step of the way. They provided advice, they provided support, and frankly, they had wanted to move uh, much, much sooner, and we asked them to wait. So now that we have officially declared the negotiations over, we are calling on the administration to use every ounce of their power to move the needle forward. We might not have been able to pass legislation, but the administration can act. The administration has already act by issuing instructions to the Department of Justice, or the Department of Justice rather issued instructions around chokeholds, around no-knock. Uh, you know that the investigations are going on. All of the stuff that Trump shut down is now back in effect, and the administration is acting aggressively. I hate to put all of the emphasis there, but until we can pass meaningful legislation, we have to use the power that we have, and that's the power of the administration. Now, when it comes to people voting next year, we need to talk about that, and we need to say that what we were able to get done or what the administration was able to get done in the absence of our ability to act. Well, it is uh, it's unfortunate that that we sit here. Uh, there was uh, tremendous pressure. Uh, there were people out there in the streets. But this is also yeah. uh, what I've also said is that 
uh, the, the activism, that pressure, you know, has to continue. And, yes. and, and frankly, um, I think Senator Tim Scott uh, owes America an explanation as to what happened. Well, I, I, I would agree. I do think, though, that the lesson to be learned from this is that it's most important to push legislation at the height of the momentum. And if we had been able to pass the legislation in the Senate last year when there were hundreds of thousands of people out in every single state and countries around the world, it would have been a lot better. Again, the House did our job twice. It was the Senate where things die. And that is uh, all too often on so many issues uh, that folks care about. Unfortunately, the public uh, only sees who's in charge and says, oh, you failed, exactly. as opposed to those nuances. And so, Congresswoman Karen Bass, I, I do want to just give you an opportunity just to share your thoughts uh, on what's happening on the board. There's lots of pressure being turned up on President uh, Biden. His Haitian envoy resigned, blasting the Americans' policy towards Haiti. Uh, just uh, just uh, your perspective on that. Well, I mean, I think it was absolutely atrocious. I mean, I looked at those, uh, the footage of the officers on horseback whipping the uh, migrants, and I hope that an investigation is done quickly, that they are fired, prosecuted if need be. And I do think that our policy, if those people are seeking asylum, then we need to treat them accordingly. And so I worry about the mass deportation of people to a country that they haven't been in for years. Remember, those folks did not get to Mexico, did not get to the border in a boat from Haiti. They came from South America. Some of them have been in South America for quite a while. And then you're sending them back to Haiti where there's what? Absolutely. Well, uh, we, look, we, we, we keep continue the pressure. Uh, I've been asking for the administration every single day to have somebody come on my show to explain what's going on. I still need somebody to explain to me why in the hell we have a different policy for Haitians compared to Cubans, why we're accepting Afghan refugees, but we're turning our back on Haiti. And no one's in the administration that seems to want to give an answer. And we're going to keep, uh, keep asking the question and trying to get somebody to answer that. Okay. <laughs> Congresswoman, <laughs> Congresswoman Bass, I got that laugh there. I appreciate it, Congresswoman Bass. Thanks a lot. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. All right, have a good one. Bye. Oh, man, folks, uh, it is uh, certainly unfortunate uh, that uh, we're not going to see the Georgia Florida Justice Act passed. Uh, and, yeah, Senator Tim Scott, you, you owe a much better explanation than what you just what you said uh, folks caught up with you in the hallway there to say Democrats did not accept compromise. Okay, detail that. Greg Carr, what do you make of um, uh, Senator Tim Scott uh, not being able to uh, corral some votes? According to, according to Congresswoman Karen Bass, uh, Senator Cory Booker negotiated with the, with the, with the uh, Fraternal Order Police. Uh, Democrats compromised on a whole lot of different areas. Scott couldn't deliver. No, he couldn't. No, he couldn't. You know what's so funny, Roland? I love that interview, man. And I love how you picked up immediately on that laugh. He's like, I got, he's like, I got that laugh. She know what it is? I want to congratulate Timothy Eugene Scott. Tim, Tim Scott doing Tim Scott things. I want to congratulate Tim, mission accomplished Scott, who entered that quote-unquote negotiation in bad faith with one objective, to stop anything, to stop everything. That's why that... Uh, that ghoul, that old feckless old unreconstructed ghoul from Kentucky, Mitch McConnell, sent his servant 
his good and faithful servant into that conversation. I want to congratulate Senator Cory Booker, who finally reached the floor of his self-respect and said no. After I've given away everything, I want to congratulate the people who leaked uh, the evisceration of the legislation by Senator Booker with the Fraternal Order of Police uh, after making a quote-unquote secret deal. I want to congratulate the people who leaked it so that then they could uh, walk back from it as those of uh, the Sheriff's Association and other groups met with Senator Tim, Mission Accomplished Scott, and young Lindsey, well, little Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. I want to congratulate everyone uh, in the white nationalist contingent who sent Tim Scott into that room with one objective and one objective only to defend the Patarolas. Don't let anything happen. And when you heard finally, which is why, again, when she laughed that laugh, this is a woman who uh, managed the whole California legislature, who was on the short list to be vice president of the United States candidate because of her capacity to negotiate, among other things, when, uh, when Congresswoman Bass said that they couldn't even get the thing Donald Trump agreed to pass. That's all you need to know. They couldn't even pass a resolution in the United States Senate to say George Floyd was murdered. And guess who would vote against that resolution? Tim Mission Accomplished Scott. Young, good job, Tim. You're doing Tim Scott things. Proud of you, young boy. Faraji? Yeah, I just can't believe we're still at this place. And I think this is the reason why so many of our people just have lost hope and faith in the government of the United States. I mean, when you look at what this bill encompasses, I mean, what this act actually says, and I'm just going to read a quick, uh, a quick excerpt. It says the bill enhances existing enforcement mechanisms to, rem to remedy violations by law enforcement. Uh, among other things, it does the following. Lowers the criminal intent standard from willful to knowing or reckless to convict a law enforcement officer for misconduct in a federal prosecution. Limit, limits qualify immune, immunity as a defense to liability in a private civil action against the law enforcement officer and grants administrative subpoena power to the Department of Justice in pattern or practice in the investigation. It also establishes a framework to prevent and remedy racial profiling by law enforcement at the federal, state, and local level. It also limits the unnecessary use of force and restricts the use of no-knock warrants, chokeholds, and precarious uh, holds. And it creates a national registry, the National Police Misconduct Registry, to compile data on complaints and records of police misconduct. I mean, when you look at this act, this act is nothing more than providing some level of justice to the victims of police brutality in this country. And for this country, for this Congress to not get to make it happen, you talked about a doctor called Tim Scott and all of the other, you know, cohorts in that group. The fact is, this is exactly why America's in the place that it's in, because it does not even want to recognize truth. It does not even want to recognize justice. It's so wrapped up in its own uh, uh, wicked pursuit of power and partisanship. It can't even come to terms on simple things. This country doesn't even have a national registry of police misconduct. What's wrong with that? They say, oh, it's qualified immunity. That's the problem. Police should not be civilly liable when they kill somebody. Why not? Why not? You could sue a doctor, can't you? If they kill you, can't you? I mean, this is absolutely insane. And, and for us to be in this place in 2021, after all of this unrest, people say, oh, it is the reckoning of America. No, it's not. It's not <laughs> a reckoning. It's the same damn thing. That's Nothing. Right. Reese. I can't. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I think it's another example of how ineffective uh, Senate Majority... I'm sorry, um, yeah, how, how ineffective Senate Majority Leader um, Chuck Schumer is. Um, where where is the leadership of the Dem of the Democratic Senate Caucus? They consistently drop the ball. They have the majority. There's no kind of filibuster reform whatsoever. They completely um, got rid of the notion of the talking filibuster, of the being present filibuster, as opposed to being able to filibuster through email. Um, and so what I see is continuing to wave the white flag, and it's not going to be enough to go to the to the Democratic voters, to go to the young voters, and even going to some black voters in 2022 and say, well, the House passed the bill, uh, but the Senate didn't, and Joe Manchin and, and Kristen Sinema. That's the political reality. But people don't like to traffic in political realities. They don't like to traffic in practicalities and uh, Senate process. And so this is a very unfortunate development. It's also... Um, very typical of the Republicans to basically put it out there that there is no getting to yes. There's going to be the runaround. Same thing happened with Obamacare, where mm -hmm. Obama gave away the farm. I shouldn't say that. Obama made a lot of compromises to attract Dem Republican votes, and they still did not support it. And so mm -hmm. Democrats, I don't know how much more they have to do endure to figure out that you don't negotiate with terrorists and what they're going to have to do mm -hmm. to figure out that Chuck Schumer is going to have to step the hell up and mm. get some damn votes. He was fine in uniting his caucus against Trump, but now it's time to actually govern and That's lead right. and legislate. You don't get to, to to fall back on, well, we're That's just right. trying to, you know, obstruct the, the Trump administration and, well, they got the votes and they're going to be able to, you know, to pass whatever they want to pass. You have to actually pass some shit, Chuck Schumer. Nobody ever mentions Chuck Schumer. We can <laughs> put some of the blame on, on Cory Booker because he negotiated... Where is Chuck Schumer? That's right. Even in the in any time something doesn't pass in the Senate, they go back to Biden. They go back to, to VP Kamala Harris. Where is Chuck Schumer? You're tweeting at Biden, today is a good day to cancel student debt, and you ain't passing shit in the Senate. So mm. I want to say to Chuck Schumer, step it the hell up. Get some results. If you got to twist them arms, if you got to do whatever the hell it is that you got to do, you got to do it. You got to bring your caucus along. That's what a leader does. That's what Nancy Pelosi does, even when she has a large faction of, 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 of different interested parties, whether it's the progressives who don't want to pass certain things. And, and every time a bill comes through the House, this group is threatening that they're not going to uh, uh, support it. And that group is... And she has a very narrow majority, but she still gets the shit done. So whatever it is that you have to do, Chuck Schumer, you've been a majority leader and waiting for a long time, get it done. Because mm -hmm. this not inaction, and you cannot fall back on excuses. And it's not just hurting the Senate, because the Senate is, they're actually in a better position to get the Senate back in 2022 than they have been for a while. It's going to bring down the entire Democratic Party if Chuck Schumer doesn't figure out a way to get some shit done with 50 mm. votes plus vice uh, vice president with the tiebreaker i think i think Reese has established get some shit done all right <laughs> uh, <laughs> a black man in oklahoma was facing execution despite recommendations from the state board of parole to commute his sentence julius jones was sentenced to death for the 1999 slaying of paul howell Last week, the state parole board recommended Jones' death sentence be commuted to life imprisonment without parole. Jones is still awaiting to see if Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt will follow the recommendation from the panel. His execution 
is set for November 18th by lethal injection. All right, folks, uh, got to go to break. We come back missing while black. All of this attention on a white woman whose body was found in Wyoming. Massive media coverage. All the major media outlets. Gwen Ifill once called that white female missing syndrome. And now the media, now they're doing, now they're racing to do stories on black people who are missing. Where have y'all been all of this time? Uh, we'll talk with the father of a brother who has been missing, who is trying to get answers, has yet to do so. And also the organization whose focus is on African-Americans who come up missing. That is next on Roland Martin Unfiltered, live on the Black Star Network. White supremacy ain't just about hurting black folk. Right. You gotta deal with it. It's injustice, it's wrong. I do feel like in this generation, we've got to do more around being intentional and resolving conflict. You and process. I haven't always agreed. Yeah. But we agree on the big piece. Yeah. Our conflict is not about destruction. Conflict's gonna happen. It's time to be smart. When we control our institutions, we win. We win. This is the most important news show on television of any racial background. Y'all put two, three, four, five, 10, 15, 20, 30 dollars on this and keep this going. What you've done, Roland, since this crisis came out in full bloom. Anybody watching this, tell your friends, go back and look at the last two weeks, especially at Roland Martin Unfiltered. I mean, hell, go back and look at the last two days. You've had sitting United States senators today, Klobuchar and Harris. Whatever you have that you have, you can bring to Roland Martin Unfiltered to support it. Please do, because this information may literally save your life. Watch Roland Martin Unfiltered daily at 6 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, Facebook, or Periscope, or go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Support the Roland Martin Unfiltered Daily Digital Show by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Hi, I'm Vivian Green. You're hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. Folks, uh, all the platforms that I have used, we have used them to shed light on African-Americans who have come up missing. Uh, why? Mainstream media has always ignored those stories. We were supposed to have the mother of Jelani Day on the show tonight. Her son has been missing since August 24th. He's an Illinois State University student. Today, a body was found uh, in the Illinois River and DNA showed that it was indeed Jelani Day. LaSalle County uh, Medical Examiner confirmed Day's identity through forensic dental identification and DNA testing. The cause of death remains unknown and is pending further investigation. Again, Day was reported missing on August 25th in Bloomington, Illinois. Folks, thousands of people of color, largely African-American, go missing in America. Last year, there were 543,018 people reported missing in America. 40% of those were people of color. 
Mind you, we make up 13% of the population, and that's people of color. Uh, and so not that whole 37% is black. Uh, but the reality is it is in a significant issue. In 2020, 2002, 899 persons of color were reported missing. Of that group, 145,467 were under the age of 18. Yet if you are black and you come up missing, you can forget about it. But if you are white, especially a white woman, oh my goodness, you can get blanket wall-to-wall -wall coverage. According to the Black and Missing Foundation, there are three main reasons for the, disparity in, for the disparity in media coverage. Runaways, a lot of minority children are initially classified as runaways, so there's no amber alert. For missing minority black and other minority adults, it is believed they have some association with criminal involvement, gangs, and drugs. Lastly, America is simply desensitized. They think missing blacks and other minorities live in impoverished conditions and crime is just a regular part of their lives. These reasons force families to do everything they can to get the word out about their missing sons and daughters. Daniel Robinson hasn't seen his, uh, has not been seen since June 23rd. The geologist, the geologist went missing after leaving a work site in the desert in his Jeep Renegade. His father, David, and the co-founder of Black and Missing Foundation, Derricka Wilson, join us right now. Glad to have both of you. Um, it is um, it is always difficult when we have to report the story of someone um, whose body has been found, Derricka. Uh, that is the case for Jelani Day. Uh, his mother uh, obviously was shocked to get the news today processing that death. And But this is part of the problem. When black folks come up missing and you don't get it out early on, then it typically leads to these type of, of, uh, of endings. Absolutely. It seems like there's just no sense of urgency when it comes to our cases. Um, you know, I want to say my heart goes out to Jelani Day's family, um, and, and I'm happy that <coughs> Daniel's father's on this show. We've been highlighting those cases. You know, we can roll off our tongues the name Natalie Holloway, Chandra Levy, Casey Anthony, um, you know, Lacey Peterson, Elizabeth Smart, but can anyone name one missing black or brown person, just one, who went missing in this country and received mainstream media? It and, doesn't. And, yeah, it and, and, and one that led to movies and miniseries, miniseries and docu-series and on and on and on. Absolutely. It is so sad. It's so unfortunate. You know, we're not trying to dishonor any of those communities. We're trying to even the playing field. You know, families such as uh, Daniel Robinson, Deidre Reed, um, Akia Eggleston, uh, Keosha um, Jacobs, uh, those families deserve answers. They deserve the same amount of resource that was applied to Gabby's case. You know, we understand that not all cases are going to bubble up to that mainstream media, but less is more. Less of one particular race and more of everyone that's missing, it greater the chances of a reunion. These families are hurt. I know Mr. Robinson, he's hurt right now. Uh, Mr. Robinson, I want to go to you now. Um, give us the background, the details of your, your son. He was working? Was he working with other colleagues? Uh, can you hear? I hear you now. Yes, go ahead. Um, give us the backstory of what happened with your son. He was working. Was he working with other colleagues? Did he leave alone or with colleagues? What happened? Well, my son, he's uh, he works for a company called uh, Matrix New World. Um, 
uh, Daniel, he's a field geologist for that company. And what he do is he visit uh, well sites, he get assignments. Uh, he may visit two or three in, in a day. Uh, he um, often meet with one representative from a drilling company uh, who assist him out there at the drill at the um, at the well site. Um, the morning that my son went missing, uh, he met a gentleman from the company called Weber, and um, those two are the only folks that was out there at the well site. Uh, my son collected, uh, do his collection, and and the other gentleman do his his job on the well site well himself. Uh, but this morning they didn't get to do the work. Um, from what I understand, uh, the whole story is based on uh, the gentleman, first of all. But the, uh, uh, according to that, you know, my son um, uh, decided to uh, uh, leave work early because of rain, and um, he headed out west into the desert where he had never been seen again. Okay. First of all, okay, we see the desert. What's what state? What city? Where was this? Uh, it's, it's in uh, Buckeye, Arizona. Um, it's outside of Phoenix, um, it's on the west side of Phoenix. All right, so he leaves the site, comes up missing. When did the company notify you or someone that he was missing? Well, it's, it's roughly around 5 o'clock. Um, I live in Columbia, South Carolina. My daughter, she's also here in Phoenix. Uh, she's been living here, um, out here with my son, out here also. And uh, she alerted me. Um, it had to be around 5 o'clock, uh, um, you know, um, here in Phoenix. And uh, back home in South Carolina, uh, she called me there and alerted me that the job, uh, one of the workers from the job came to her house um, searching for him, looking for him. Okay, so... Someone came to the looking for him. Okay, so what did the company then do? When were police notified? Um, what, did, what was was what was was his car found? Was items found? Was any tracking of his phone? Anything? No. Um, in fact, um, I, I called uh, the police department. My son was living in Tempe at the time. Uh, they, they told me I need to talk to Buckeye Police Department because that's the last place he was seen. Um, they had me wait 12 hours um, before I could put in a missing person report. Um, and since then, um, you know, the job, like I said, yes, question, no, the job have not um, um, did anything other than alerted my daughter that um, he left the job site. Oh, wait, 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 um, wait, hold on, hold on. Your, your son was working for the company. Yes, he's, the, he's on, on duty. That's correct. The company did not initiate some type of church, some type of search. They did, they, 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 they so what did, the, what did the company do? Just, hey, your brother's missing. Let, exactly. let, let us know if you're here from him. That was it? That was it. How many black people it. work for this company? Well, my son, um, what I understand, I, I believe he is the only one. Um, you know, you don't find too many geologists out there. Um, he's, uh, in that sense, a minority when it comes to that field. Uh, I'm proud of him. He's something, something he wanted to do, um, you know, when he came out of high school. So uh, he landed his first job out here, and I was proud of him for that fact. Okay, so, all right, so he, so he comes up missing. Was, was in the first 48, 72 hours, first of all, you had to wait 12 hours. I get that. Was any search conducted, any aerial search? 
Did anyone, was there any retracing of the steps? What, what has his vehicle been found? No, not at all. Not at all. The first search um, was uh, uh, three days afterwards. I, I asked them for the search the next it, it, it morning. It took three days to search for him. That's correct. A and who did uh, that search? That was, that was only because my auntie uh, called and, and I don't know what she said to them. They canceled the first search and they decided to send a helicopter out there on the third day. Um, that was, by the time they did that, I was almost the Phoenix because um, the first day when they denied the search, um, you know, I was already in my car on the way to, you know, to find out what's going on at that point. So, company has done nothing. H how long have they searched for your son? Well, um, from what I understand, uh, they did the third uh, the third day when they did that search, um, that search probably lasted for a few hours. I think it was uh, roughly two hours. Um, uh, from that point, um, there was no more search until um, almost a, uh, say almost a month later, about probably like three weeks, uh, two or three weeks later, um, they had a Silver Air Patrol because I requested that. Um, the net search only came after the vehicle was found, and that was on July the 19th. Uh, almost a month later, when my son uh, went missing, um, um, a rancher found my son's uh, vehicle in the ravine out there, two miles, about two and a half miles away from where he went missing. So, so, um, a, so a, a rancher, so a, your son's vehicle was discovered how long after he came up missing? Uh, it was on the 20, uh, on the 19th of July, almost a month, because my son went missing on June the 23rd. And almost a month later, on uh, July the 19th, was when the rancher ran into my vehicle. So uh, your, son, vehicle. your son came up missing June 23rd. His vehicle yeah. was found in a ravine on July 29th. Uh, were any personal effects found in there? Phone, anything? Well, actually, it was uh, July 19th. I'm sorry, July 19th. That's right. Um, and, and the thing was, when they found the vehicle, um, the vehicle was found. Um, uh, according to uh, Buckeye and also according to the rancher, uh, my son's view of uh, his clothing, everything from his um, underwear, his socks, um, everything he's wearing, um, his boots, um, everything was his clothes in a pile uh, about three feet away from the vehicle. His safety vest that he was wearing that day when he went missing was um, another foot away from the vehicle and the vehicle's lying on the side. His uh, personal things, the fence was with, the, with his, um, his clothing out there, with that was his wallet, um, his um, uh, cell phone was inside the vehicle, uh, his personal computer, things like that. Derricka, that, that, that all sounds absolutely strange, but it also goes to show what happens when you have no real interest had there been a real search conducted after that 12 hours? Um, and, and, and actually, before I ask that, Derricka, uh, Daniel, how far, miles or feet, how far was it where his vehicle was found in the ravine from where he was last, he was, he was with, last with his coworker? How, what was the distance? Two and a half miles. And they did two searches out there, um, extensive searches, they say, right. Two and a half miles? Two and a half miles. That's so I, so See, Derek, this is the thing that, that gets me. Clearly, he was able to access the area by vehicle. Okay? Mm -hmm. Clearly, he was able to access the area by vehicle. So, 
if I'm sitting here, if you do a real search, you retrace where he last was. You absolutely do. And one of my questions is, did the police department, you know, interview any of his colleagues? Did they bring them in for questioning? Did they bring in the cadets to do a grid search of that area? Did they ask for federal FBI resources to help with this case? Did they bring out the drones? Did they bring out the cadaver dogs? Uh, nothing. They spent two hours. But in these other cases of people that don't look like us, they're spending from sunup to sundown. Is, is that what angers you, Daniel, in that if your son was a missing white woman, that, that this case would have been absolutely treated completely different? Yeah, and you know, um, you know, because I'm a father who loves my son, uh, when I was on the way up here, um, you know, I'm gonna go get her. So um, the first thing I was doing is, uh, um, you know, as soon as I realized these guys uh, from day one wasn't taking it really serious, um, I had to go find them myself. That's why I started my own search parties and um, been doing it for seven weeks straight um, out there looking for my son. You also are trying to, I'm correct, hire a private investigator. What are, are, are you doing, a GoFundMe, Kickstart? What, what, you know, what, what are you doing to help with that, what, what to uh, ask for help with that? Well, um, I've been out here, like I said, from June, since uh, June of 26. Um, from that time, um, you know, of course, I, I, I have a home in South Carolina. I haven't been home since. But, um, you know, while I'm out here, if I live in the Spencers, I had to be out here uh, to get the searches going. I had to be out here to get my private investigator. I had to be out here. Um, you know, so, um, of course, um, after a while, you know, the GoFundMe was there um, created later to help me uh, remain here because, you know, um, I have to take care of things at home, take care of here, and pay expenses here while I'm here. Uh, so uh, after the uh, searches of seven weeks of searches, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm desperate at this point. Uh, I can't get the Buckeye Police Department to move on really doing a serious um, a search and investigation on my son. Uh, I'm running out, I was running out of resources. The GoFundMe helped me for a certain point. And then, um, you know, uh, because of the Gabby thing, um, my, my son, uh, what I've been working hard for for three months, um, came, finally came up. Uh, people started taking my son's um, stuff serious and, um, and, and also to help with the GoFundMe so now I can stay a lot longer. Uh, to continue what I was doing. I'm about to open the searches back up again. Well, and, and Mr. Robinson, we're here to help you as well. Uh, we are a resource we're sharing with all of our media contacts, and we will also make a contribution to you. This is absolutely devastating. And, you know, from on behalf of the Black and Missing Foundation, you know, we our hearts go out to you. You know, this, no family should have to deal like, you know, deal with this. You know, missing persons is not a black issue. It's not a white issue. It's an American issue. And we know that this is devastating. Just not knowing, not knowing if Daniel was hurt, if he's being mistreated, if he's hungry, if he's got to walk through the front door. And that's how all these families feel. And that's why we have to make this a priority. Our, all people who are missing deserve that equality. That's right. You have to fight for everything. Um, Mr. Right. Robinson, if you could uh, get us that GoFundMe information, we'll also share with my 3 million social media followers uh, and we'll share it on the show as well. Yes, sir. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. 
Sir, I appreciate it. Good luck. Uh, and we hope uh, you get the answers that you absolutely deserve when it comes to uh, your son, uh, Derek. We also appreciate uh, your work as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Go to my panel, Greg, uh, Reese, and uh, Faraji. Reese, I, I tell you, again, it's, it, what, what, what's tripping me out is, is to see white folks in mainstream media write stories about the disparity over the attention when I'm going, the same white editor, the same white news director, the one who's assigning the stories is the one who's determining when the white woman gets coverage and everybody else don't. Yeah, I mean, and what's crazy here is, you know, it, it seems like in order for black stories to get attention, they have to be, you know, um, a, a more acceptable and a more upstanding black citizen. I mean, forget about um, a runaway, you know, black person being uh, miss, you know, being covered. Um, but in this case, we have, in the case of, 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 of Daniel Robinson, and my heart goes out to his father, he's so brave for, you know, taking it upon himself and doing these search parties and really fighting to bring his son back home. And I hope and pray that he does return home and they find him alive and well. Um, but he was a geologist. He was a college student. And so he fits the profile, in theory, of a, the kind of black person that would normally... Um, you know, if this person were white, would have immediately um, received this kind of national attention. So it, it, it's it's awful how how it, these kinds of things only really come to light when there's that comparison and contrast being made. And I don't think that black people are at all suggesting that white people that come up missing, like uh, Gabby, the one who, who really brought about this discussion that we're having about disparities, um, her going missing was tragic and her being killed um, was was tragic. And we just want the same amount of attention and concern yeah, but, for but black look, people but, that are but, missing. But look, I got Yahoo up, okay, which was a highly trafficked website. Look, this is the lead story. Warrant for Petito's fiance, fiance not related to her death. Uh, if I go to, let's see right here. If I go to uh, newyorkpost.com uh, and if, if I go here, boom, arrest warrant uh, issued for Brian Laundry over Gabby Petito's death. Uh, I mean, when, when you start, I mean, bottom line is when, when you see these kind of stories, uh, Faraji, I mean, we see massive media attention. I'm talking mm -hmm. about mainstream media throwing resources, multiple reporters, multiple staff on one missing white woman and just repeatedly ignoring all the rest of these stories as if we don't exist. Uh, you're on mute. Faraja, you're on mute. Guys, what's going on? Can y'all figure it out, Greg Carr? Yeah, Roland, just, just quickly. Um, the Buckeye, Arizona Police Department put on its website, uh, anyone with, with information that can help solve this case and bring closure to the Robinson family is urged to call the Buckeye Police Department non-emergency number. Um, and you all can look that non-emergency number up. I won't, I won't presume that you would even broadcast the number, Roland. But in addition to the GoFundMe, um, we need to understand that Buckeye, Arizona, which is in Maricopa County, hmm, where we heard Maricopa County in the news over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. At any rate, um, we should destroy their phone lines capacity to take any other calls. If you can't give any money, dial that number till your fingers fall off. And when they do, use your elbows. 
and ask them what the hell are they doing. We just heard a man whose temperament is heartbreaking in its in his calmness. Mm-hmm. He left South Carolina. He left to find it. He said, I went to find my son because they're not looking for him. You're right, Reese. Of course. Of course. No human being should be missing. But as uh, the LAPD used to say when they would get a call of black folk um, involving black folk in Los Angeles and the Jamaican uh, philosopher Sylvia Winter took this phrase that the LAPD developed and applied it to the study of black folk in this country. She said, you know, when the LAPD got a call and they realized it was black or brown people, they uh, would repeat over the radio NHI, no humans involved. This would not stand for a white woman or a white man for that matter. So let's break the phones of Buckeye, Arizona's police department in Maricopa County. Because since you don't seem to think there are any humans involved, we're going to treat you like you treated us. There's no we in this country. I hope that if you find it, brother, Roland, when you, when you asked him that question, brother, and he narrated how they found all of his son's clothes, his underwear, his socks, his personal effects in his clothes, strewn out from that car. And then that two and a half mile distance between where his last co-worker had seen him. This is not only unacceptable. The only way it becomes unacceptable in this country is when you make these people have to deal with the fact that we will make this place ungovernable until you make it into someplace different. We're not going to stand for this. Um, Faraji. Yeah, I mean, I I just think that it's it's interesting because when I look at a media scan of how, you know, this case with Gabby compared to the cases of, uh, of black children and, and, and black people, it's always like the media says, you know what, we can do more. It's like this hypocritical stance that, yet we recognize that we don't put enough emphasis on black and brown missing people. We recognize that. And then you start having these kind of like bubbling up conversations about the importance of it. The, the data comes out 40% of missing, of, of, of you know, of, uh, of people of uh, people of color. I mean, all of this. But it's so hypocritical. It's really, really hypocritical. And I think that also that we should look at, okay, is it just us? I mean, just the traditional white media? Or, or is it us, how we feel as a community about when one of our own go missing? I mean, it, it's... it's mm. Each day in, in Black America, a child is taken, an adult is, finds themselves missing in this country, right among Black people. And we, mm-hmm. don't, we don't ask the right questions. We don't... We just kind of just kind of shove in, oh, okay, they've they gone for a while, and then bodies end up somewhere and all of those things. That's, this happens right here in Baltimore. This mm-hmm. happens right here in Baltimore. And so, you know, it's like we have to have the heart I mean, some of us do, obviously. You know, we can feel for the Dave family. We can feel for the uh, brother Daniel Robinson's family. We we feel that pain. But we need to put that emphasis so that way we can't just put it all on the media. We got to take on that mantle ourselves. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. And somebody sent me a tweet. They said, my local news stations have spent so many resources. They they all sent reporters to Florida, Wyoming, and Denver. Mm. Wow. Mm. Yeah, CNN has had reporters in multiple locations for the one case. 
That's how it happens. Hey, folks, earlier we told you about uh, Until Freedom, uh, how they were gathering at Friendship West Baptist Church in Dallas, uh, gathering resources. Let's go live right now to Dallas, Texas. Uh, Linda Sassour is one of the co-founders uh, of Until Freedom. Uh, Linda, uh, give us a sense of how things have been going there. Uh, we were texting earlier, folks dropping off. Uh, I mean, are y'all overwhelmed with uh, with uh, re uh, with uh, supplies? Dallas, Dallas showed up. Um, we are, uh, as you can see, we have a, a steady line of people bringing stuff in. We went out and made some purchases here in the Dallas area. Angelo's here, um, co-founder of Until Freedom, myself and our team, and the wonderful people at Friendship West Baptist Church. Shout out to Freddie Maines and all the wonderful volunteers that are out here standing in solidarity with our Haitian sisters and brothers at the border. Uh, and so um, y'all going to be traveling, driving six hours to Del Rio, Texas. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, how much stuff uh, have folks brought? Uh, you were, I mean, uh, is it one truck, two trucks, three trucks? Sorry, how many trucks? Yeah, how many trucks? Yeah, so, so there are multiple trucks, but some are going to be going to different receiving stations. As you know, people are being released into Del Rio and then they're being moved to places like San Antonio and Houston, which are some of the major cities that are have major airports that people are being sent around the country. So the Del Rio is just a really small area. So this this particular U-Haul truck that you see right here is the one that is going to be going to Del Rio that has baby diapers, baby wipes, sanitary, sanitary napkins for women, hand sanitizer, uh, baby formula, just a lot of important basic necessities that people need just to feel a little dignified and have some basics for the trip that they have to make either to San Antonio or to Houston or to other parts of uh, Texas. Uh, and uh, and look, the reality is there are a lot of folks who are going down the Del Rio uh, for the photo op. Y'all wanted to make sure that uh, that, that y'all helping the people uh, you gotten with Trey, uh, the rapper out of Houston, his organization as well. Uh, and so uh, y'all have really put together a strong coalition uh, to uh, to provide uh, some help to the folks there, these Haitian migrants. Absolutely. And, and we thank you, Roland, for always sharing and giving us this platform. It's, this is about helping our Haitian migrants at the border, but it's also a way to shame the United States government for the treatment of the Haitian migrants at the border. It is their responsibility to bring supplies, to dignify these people, to support these people who are literally in desperation, which is why they're at the border. And so we are demanding that President Biden and Title 42 stop the deportations of these Haitian migrants and figure out how to process them and give them the opportunity to access a safer and better life here in the United States of America. And uh, and so you talked about going to these, these multiple cities. Uh, are you also um, organizing people in those cities uh, to also uh, give as well? And, and people have, they want to know, okay, I'm in a city, where do I go? If there's somebody out there who's watching and listening and they want to send money as opposed to supplies, uh, where should they send it to? So, yes. So, as you can see, the majority of people who are here with us today are from the Dallas area. They are volunteers. They have come out in solidarity to support this effort. We are asking people to give resources to the Haitian Bridge Alliance. They are an organization that is at the front lines of supporting Haitian migrants 
across the border, and they have been doing this work for weeks now, not just because of this recent imagery that we saw. So give the Haitian Bridge Alliance. You can also support Until Freedom, UntilFreedom.com. We are helping to coordinate and just really add our platform and our resources to this effort. Uh, all right, then. Uh, Linda, I appreciate it. Uh, Y'all doing great work. Uh, I was communicating with you and Tamika Mallory last night. Uh, what y'all were doing, I said, look, we got to get y'all on the show uh, to show what's going on. And again, uh, for whoever has the camera, just get just give our folks just a shot of the truck there, all the stuff that y'all have, because uh, folks, y'all can see right there, uh, you know, what you see the supplies, what they're loading in there. Uh, and so uh, a big shout out. Uh, to all the folks with Until Freedom uh, and uh, all the folks at my former church, Friendship West Baptist Church. Thanks a lot. Y'all take care. Safe travels to Del Rio, San Antonio, and Houston, folks. Okay, hold on a second. Y'all safe travels. I want to get in there. I want to get in there. I want to get in there. Say hi. All right, say bye. All right, y'all. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. See, that's, see, you know, uh, the thing there, Reese, is again, there are others who are traveling down there for photo ops. They ain't bringing nothing. They ain't helping nobody. All it, it's all about getting attention. That's how you mobilize and organize community. You know, I'm always talking about on this show how you put the work in and how you mobilize and organize. It's one thing to comment and tweet and post on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, but what Until Freedom is doing, they are actually doing the work. Absolutely. And, you know, there are a lot of times they take a lot of attacks, personal attacks, and in the process of doing this work, I think it's so important that you showed the images and the video of what is actually being done tangibly, because I think um, particularly, and I hate to even use the word woke, because white folks have just completely gentrified it and, and ruined it, <laughs> but... There is um, a, a reluctance that some of us might have to send money because there's all these allegations of corruption and all oh, these people don't don't send money, these people send money, these people this, that, and the other. But showing an organization that is, and you can see tangibly what they're doing and where they're going with it is, is so helpful because people need to know that there are people on the ground doing the work. Everybody can't travel down to Del Rio. It's probably not even safe for a lot of people to be going down there. You need people that are really trained in this kind of act and this kind of action. Um, yep. to take that kind of direct action. But there are ways that we can all can contribute, whether it's financially or whether it's it, going down there and, and volunteering and, 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 and actually donating goods. So what I would encourage you to do is tune out the noise about this personality and that personality and, you know, who who's doing X, Y, and Z. And, mm. and the proof is in the pudding. It's all about the action. If you can see the action, then that's what you should be focused on and how you can be a part of the solution instead of the noise machine. Raji? Yeah, I'm in uh, complete agreement with Reese, and I and to also add to it, and I'm you know I want us to make sure that we put out res like really accurate information. I see a lot of people talking about you know Cash App and this group or GoFundMe or you know you can donate here, uh, Brother Roland. Wh what is and I you know I, I want to get get your take on this. What is the best way people can give money or to send supplies? And and c considering Del Rio is being uh, secured by or by federal and state authorities, what's the likelihood that those supplies will be able to get to the to our people? Well, that's why, and, and when Linda said, they understand that people are not just in Del Rio. 
And so they're disseminating right. uh, the, uh, the supplies in different places. I, I, I would dare say to anybody out there, frankly, if you're not in Dallas or Houston or San Antonio, send money. Because here's the deal. If you're going to go to the store and buy some supplies, you're yeah. going to be spending money. And so she gave mm -hmm. the name of the organization, Control Room. Please get me that name of the organization again that she mentioned. Uh, but she all, Haitian can, Bridge Alliance. Haitian Bridge Alliance. Uh, Y'all, get a graphic together and put it on the lower third. Type it in uh, what the website is. Also, go to the Until Freedom website. That's what I would do. I would just simply, that, it would be a matter of resources. Uh, uh, that, that's what I would do. Greg, this, this, you know, I, 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 we talk about this all the time. Uh, why black-owned media matters. Uh, the reality is MSNBC, Fox, and CNN, these networks, they're not going to do that. They're, they're caught up in other sort of stuff. Uh, this is why, I, as, as, as your brother said in that promo we're running, our eyeballs need to follow uh, or go where we are. That needs to happen. Uh, because when we're able to build capacity, when we're able uh, to have not... 2,771, 276 watching on YouTube, or right now I think it's 1,400 watching on the Black Star Network app, or uh, Facebook has actually been suppressing our damn uh, live notifications, so our numbers are like two and 300 uh, on Facebook. But the reality is when we can build it and have two and three and four and 500,000, that's building capacity. Stories like this, why it matters. Greg, I think you're on mute. I am. I'm sorry. I was on mute that time. As my brother said, you're right, Roland. Bring bring your eyeballs home. And we all run into people all the time who watch. They may not watch in real time. They go back and watch later. But, you know, not only uh, do we not expect uh, white-facing media and white-stream media to do that, because this is our mainstream, we shouldn't rely on them. As we saw with the case of the, uh, the brother who uh, was at the verge of losing his job as the principal there in Texas, all of a sudden, he was discovered by white stream media at black points of entry, but that's because he was here first and then came back. And in the case of what we just saw, brother, it was so incredibly instructive to see our sister Linda Sarsour, to see those women and men loading that truck. And then when you said, you know, have your camera person pan over to see, and then they all paused and they all got in, and the sister said, I want to get in that picture. Why? Because this is home. I mean, today today could have been the 95th birthday of John Coltrane. You know, what we saw was, you know, to, to borrow from his famous recording, uh, the title, A Love Supreme. Yesterday was Jeremiah Wright's 80th birthday. Baba J, you know, happy birthday, brother. And, of course, Freddie Haynes is one of his spiritual sons. When, 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 the, when the white media tried to crucify Jeremiah Wright, when he said, if this is what America's about, then God blank America, he wasn't talking about the people. He was talking about any system that would put people in that kind of crisis. So finally, looking on, at that, brother, you know, I think about the great Paul Robeson, who, who made a recording before they took his passport, he and his wife, before they accused him of being enemies of the state, before they tried to break Paul Robeson, before Paul Robeson spent the last 10 years of his life convalescing at his sister's house in Philly. He was one of the greatest recording artists, most, most popular recording artists in the world, great film star and all that, and, and an alpha, but you know, he had good sense to choose that early. But when he recorded that, that song, The House I Live In, he starts with, what is America to me? A name, a map of a flag I see, a certain word, democracy. What, what is America to me? But what we just saw is what it is. He said, it's the house I live in. 
my neighbors, white and black. He said, the church, the school, the clubhouse, the million lights I see, but especially the people. So when I say there is no we, there ain't no we. There's the people, and it starts locally. So if y'all want to do something, and you think there's an America beyond the people who do things like we just saw, if you don't have any money to give, pick up the phone again. Call the White House. Ask Joe Biden's administration why they're appealing the, the, the court decision that said you got to stop not letting people in and blaming COVID. Call the Biden administration at the places that Sister Sarsour just let us understand. If they're going to let them in the country, they're going to fly them to places and give them a, a, a notice to appear. You need to bang on the Senate, bang on the Congress, bang on the Biden administration, and ask them, what is your policy toward Haitians? What is your policy toward black people? Are you going to let those people stay here? And then, Roland, I don't know. I don't know where Kristen Clark is in this or where uh, our sister Vanita Gupta is, but we need to find out what the Department of Justice, what their interface is with this Biden administration policy of continuing the Trump administration policy. If you ain't got no money, get involved in the political process. But that's that's why Black Star is here, brother. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, folks, um, uh, I, we're not done. We're not done. First of all, I'm, I'm done with the panel. We're not done. First of all, um, I had a conversation the other night on Clubhouse where I was talking about holding these companies accountable uh, in the wake of death of George Floyd. All these billions, they probably 30 to $50 billion. All these companies talking about how they're how they going to support black-owned media. They ain't spending the money. I've been calling folks out. And so I had a conversation on Clubhouse. It was interesting because... Folks like, why you on Clubhouse? Well, actually, I had a conversation on Clubhouse to tell people we're going to have part two on Fanbase. Black-owned app launched by Isaac Hayes III. Uh, I'm one of the folks uh, who, that, who part of the crowdfund, uh, which raised, he helped raise, he got $3.5 million through crowdfunding uh, to, develop, to further develop the app. And so I said, we can't talk about black economic empowerment if we are willing, willingly going to have conversations on Clubhouse but don't want to go over the fan base. And so I go to my computer. So at 9 p.m. in 48 minutes, I'm going to have part two of our conversation on fan base. I want you all to download the fan base app. We're going to have a conversation over there. Let's blow it out. And I'm going to talk about, I'm going to walk you all through. I'm going to walk you all through this thing with these advertising agencies. And I'm going to walk y'all through why I call out brands specifically because y'all need to understand what's going on. And so download that fan base app. Trust me, uh, uh, you, want, you want to check that out. Um, also, of course, we, we, yesterday we talked about the death of uh, Melvin Van Peebles. Just tremendous, tremendous uh, uh, man. Uh, amazing, amazing story. Uh, and so uh, the director, Michael Schultz, he did Car Wash, he did Cooley Hot and others. Uh, he's, I'm double checking because he recorded, he wanted to come on the show live. Uh, he's actually working. He's sending me a video. Uh, I'm not sure if the video has come through. It doesn't appear that way. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to send him a text again and try to get that video. Uh, but what I'm going to do though is earlier uh, today, I had a conversation uh, with the journalist author. Uh, I mean, he's done so much. Uh, he's done so much in the business. Um, and that is a uh, Nelson George. And he had some amazing things to say y'all about Melvin Van, Van Peebles, some jewels that actually just blew me away. And I wanted y'all to actually hear that. Here's my conversation with Nelson George. Nelson George, always glad to have you on Roller Martin Unfiltered, my brother. Uh, good to be here, man. Good to be here. Uh, sad to be talking about what we're going to talk about, though. Uh, indeed, uh, indeed. Uh, uh, Melvin Van Peebles lived uh, an extraordinary life, uh, passed away at the age of 89. And, and I came across 
uh, video uh, uh, on YouTube of this unbelievable conversation with Gordon Parks, Melvin Van oh, yeah. Peebles, and Ossie Davis, uh, and you participated in that. Well, those brothers, you know, uh, they're the godfathers of, of contemporary uh, African-American film in that Gordon made Learning Tree uh, in Hollywood, his first film adapted of one of his books. Melvin did Watermelon Man, very close behind him. And right there in that same ballpark with Ozzie Davis, um, several of them had done... So these three guys are sort of the benchmarks if you look at what we've done all the way up to... Uh, you know, Barry Jenkins and Avery DuVernay and so forth. These guys were the breakthrough in terms of the civil rights era. Was Melvin the, probably the most iconoclastic? Because Melvin's, uh, he did a, so here's the story. Melvin did a film in France first called Service Three Day Pass. It was done in very new wave style. He was able to raise money in France that he wasn't able to raise in America. And that was like in 1966 or 67. He was seen by Hollywood. He came in a Hollywood movie called Watermelon Man with Godfrey Cambridge. Um, but he realized that the statement he wanted to make could not be made in Hollywood. And he made a movie called Sweet Sweet Beck's Badass Song about a male hustler who, who uh, sees a man being beaten, shoots two cops, and goes on the run. And that was a revolutionary film in that the black character was not uh, a clean-cut Sidney Poitier character. He was a, he was from the underclass. He shot police. He didn't just, you know, yell at them. And he escaped. He escapes to Mexico at the end of the film. It was a film that the Panthers embraced, the film that, that Black people embraced. And it set a new template for a Black action hero that this, then leads into the uh, whole Black exploitation era. So that one film alone was revolutionary. Now, now here's what's, what's interesting here, uh, because uh, the, the New York Post, and, and I've been um, highly critical of, and I've been blasting them, uh, they have a headline uh, that included um, uh, black exploitation in it. Uh, and, but he was a critic of that. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, he, and it's he, interesting he, that, that they're trying to link him as if he was a, a they, their headline was literally, he was a black exploitation director. No, he wasn't. <laughs> No, no, no. What happened is that his his film situates a black hero attacking the establishment in an anti-establishment frame. The black exploitation movies were usually adaptations of detective novels or they had pimps. They were all very conventional. They were never as transgressive as Sweetback was. So Melvin, they took Melvin elements of Melvin's success because they knew to the black audience that was craving this and made a formula. But I also yes. want to point out, point out to you that, that Melvin wasn't just a movie maker. Right. Black Sports, so Sweetback comes out in 1971. In 1972, he takes a lot of the money he made from Sweetback. He has not one, but two plays on Broadway. Ain't Supposed to Die a Natural Death and Don't Play as Cheap. Unprecedented. Unprecedented. He had two plays on Broadway at the same time. Plays that he wrote, directed, and raised a lot of the money for. He also uh, helped trailblaze marketing in terms of Broadway because he went out uh, and was able to get black church groups to come out and see the plays and targeted them at, at a time when that wasn't done on Broadway. So 
The other part of that uh, I should mention when I talk about these two plays is that you know, one of them is a musical, that all during this time, Melvin is also a recording artist. He made a number of, of recordings throughout his career, many of which ended up into soundtracks to different movies and different plays. So the brother was a film director, he was a playwright, he was a music composer, and he, was a, he wrote books way before he even made movies uh, one of his first books was done back in the late 60s, or maybe early in the early 60s, when he was a cable car conductor in San Francisco. He wrote a book about being a cable car conductor. So this was a man who lived an extraordinarily diverse creative life. So Sweetback is the big bang, if you will, but there are so many works. I was watching Melvin perform at nightclubs in New York, 10 years ago, he was still on the, he was still doing club dates where he sang, had a little band behind him, uh, and was incredibly, so he, he lived a super vital creative life. And that, what you unpack there, and then of course, I mean, my goodness, he decides to, you know, what the hell, I'm going to be a stock, I'm going to trade stocks uh, on Wall Street. I mean, and, and so here was someone who said, you know what? The fences or the boxes that you want to put me in, no more boxes. I'm not right. going to do it. You're not, you're not going to put me in that box. And, and if I want to go here, I'm going to go here. If I want to do this, I can want to do this. And I think there's a lesson in that yes. for, for so many people who, who are told, you know what, you know, just do this. And, and, and I identify with it because as, as, a, as a one launching my own independent company and, and show and and the frustration I always had when I worked in mainstream mainstream media, but also when I worked in black media sure. was the limitation. No, we just yeah. want you to do this. And I'm like, no, no, but my talents are all over. Why? I want to be able to use all of these gifts. Yes. yes. That to me was, was so powerful. And the, the tr true lesson to learn from a Melvin Van Peebles, a Gordon Parks. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Melvin, I got to know Melvin pretty well. Uh, over the years, and he was always about be yourself, follow your vision. First time I met Melvin, I was a college student in 1978, I think. I went to interview him for a magazine, uh, and um, I walked in. Brother had on, he was sitting in a wheelchair in the middle of his office, had no shoes on, no shirt, <laughs> but had, to, had, had trousers, trousers on, Suspenders, a hat, was smoking a cigar. And I was like, wow, that's unconventional. And that, that's how he lived his life. He never tried to fit in. He made himself be who he was. You know, he, he totally was a, a free spirit. Uh, I'll tell you something interesting about Melvin I found out yesterday. So I have an agent at CAA who was friends with Melvin. He says that when he joined CAA in 19, early 90s, Melvin negotiated his contract. I said, are you kidding me? He said, he said, he said no, Melvin knew money. Melvin, Melvin knew money. And so this is a white guy. He trusted Melvin to negotiate his agent deal with Creative Artists Agency, the biggest creative artist agency, you know, talent agency in the world, because he respected Melvin's business acumen. So that just gives you one idea of how, how diverse and how, how learned he was in so many different areas. And you know when 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 whenever this happens, um, 
you know, a lot of folks, they post like, oh my God, I'm so sorry to hear that. But the reality is you see that in his son. You see that in his children. You see that in Mario's children. You, you, you see this whole idea of there are no boundaries. And, I, and, and all too often for African-Americans, uh, especially even, even especially in our parents, for a lot of us, uh, look, 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 son, uh, look to daughter, look, look, you know, you know, look, get you a good job, get a steady job, just, you know, you know, don't make waves. Uh, but then you, you, you get older and then people start thinking back and, man, I wish I had done this and I wish I had done that. And they have these regrets. I, I think you know, Melvin Van Peebles lays down uh, in his home in Manhattan, uh, passes away. He passes away with no regrets. Oh, Melvin, Melvin, as long as he could, Melvin was running the streets of New York. He, he jogged all the time. I mean, he lived a very full life. Uh, I'll tell you another story. Uh, I was shooting an independent film uh, about 10 years ago. And I said, Melvin, you know, I ain't got no money, but can I, can, I, can I get you to do one improv scene with me? Brought me up to his place. I had the act, uh, actress with us, with had little cameras, knocked it out. He gave us something to drink. We watched some movies together. I mean, if he thought you were trying to do something unconventional, he was there for you. You know, and I, I felt like he was, for me, it was great to get to know him because he was someone who, and you can, you'll find this in everybody, who anybody who was around Melvin for any amount of time was inspired. Inspired because he wasn't conventional. He didn't fit any of the boxes of open mobility. Uh, but he always was moving forward. His apartment, he designed a, uh, the furniture in his apartment. He had a hot dog that was a, uh, a dresser. He had, he had like the back of a truck in his living room. That, that spewed kind of like smoke. He, he had paintings. He, he, had, he was a constantly, constantly inventive. And I think for anyone who's living a, 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 you know, a creative life, the idea is not to be boxed in, as you said, and it's also to be constantly doing stuff. You're never going to retire. retiring. Retiring is for people who have a nine to five. If you're out in this world trying to create visions, go for it constantly. Always be experimenting, always be learning, always be challenging yourself. And just to be in his proximity was to feel that energy and to feel that history. I mean, the brother came from, at one point, you know, he, he, he left Chicago. He was a cable car porter in San Francisco. At one point he lived as a, as a street painter in Mexico City. He went to Paris, he lived in Amsterdam and went to school in Amsterdam. And then went to, went to Paris where he sort of began his life as a writer and ultimately a filmmaker. So he was also not afraid to move out of his comfort zone. Being a black man traveling the globe throughout the 50s, uh, he, he was able to open his vision, mm -hmm. open his vision and not be boxed in by the American boxes. What you just said, that thing really, really stands out when you said you, look, man, I don't have any money for it. Can you do this? He's like, no problem. And that... If, if there's one thing, Nelson, that that sort of drives me crazy, and it really does, and I, I said this a, a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, I said, it doesn't actually cost me anything to help somebody out and retweet something. It doesn't. 
if somebody hits me up and say, "Hey, Roland, uh, can you can you can you do me a solid and do a mention on your show?" Okay. Now, obviously, that's relationship. Sure. Because you also know that person and and who they are and and what they do. But with this is someone who, like you said, if I see somebody who's trying to do something, man, I'm gonna go ahead and help you. That is 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 in many ways is uncommon. Mm. That's not common. It's uncommon right. for folks to do that. And I think a lot of people, when we talk to talk to elders who've gone become ancestors, it's amazing how that is a consistent theme when we talk about many of those ancestors. Oh, listen, I, I don't, I'm working on a documentary right now about Willie Mays. Willie Mays is 90 years old. Mm-hmm. And the key phrase in Willie's life is, take care. He says, so-and-so took care of me. I took care of blah, blah, blah. In other words, his, his, he was mentored by older black ball players, And then he became a, a mentor to a younger black ball player. And he felt that that was, the, that was part of what you did. Um, I feel like that's an important part of, 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 of Melvin's DNA, perhaps that whole generation of people who came up during the Depression. You know, these are Depression babies. And so no one had anything when they, when they first came up. So if you had something, you gave someone, uh, you know, a shirt. You gave, you let someone use your pants because there was no no money and 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 all you had was each other. And so he had a very strong sense of community. A lot of folks uh, have known Melvin for years. Um, there's so many young film now now middle aged filmmakers who were young filmmakers who uh, who gravitated around him um, and sat and listened to him. Uh, he wasn't someone who gave inspirational speeches. His life was inspirational. You know, I mean, you how go. he lived was inspirational. Now, I, I started smoking cigars because of Melvin. <laughs> <laughs> well, as somebody who's allergic to cigars, I'll pass on that one. Okay. Uh, but, but, I'll, but I'll grab, I'll, I'll do all the other stuff uh, uh, that he did. Uh, as you said, man, an extraordinary life. Uh, I've had opportunity, because uh, I was literally just in L.A. a few weeks ago where I interviewed Mario uh, uh-huh. for, for this um, for this this one-on-one series that I'm going to be launching on, on my OTT network, Black Star Network. Uh, and we were able to use some stuff uh, in the tribute last night uh, as he talked about uh, his dad and some life lessons and things along those lines. Uh, and, and the reality is uh, what he did in his life, he certainly passed on to his children. And at a whole point, what you said about Willie Mays, take care. Mario is passing on to his children. And hopefully that's what other people will learn, uh, that it doesn't make sense to have all of this knowledge and expertise that is just sitting in your head share it, bless it with some other folk uh, and, and, and give them a sense of what freedom uh, what freedom is like, what uh, what free expression is like uh, and what independence is like yes, yes, absolutely, because Melvin was the ultimate independent, he made films, he made books he wrote books, he made plays, he made records he made them and then figured out how to get them out, and that's what he did his whole life, and he stayed one of the most idiosyncratic and interesting artist in American history. And of course, I'm 52, be 53 in November. Uh, you are uh, in the same area, same age, and we sit here and go, damn, we got more work to do, all the stuff said, that brother did. Absolutely. I said that to my, my, my fiance last night, like, wow, I thought I was working. I ain't working hard enough. There you go. <laughs> now, I said, I was good to see you, my brother. Thank you for having me. You take Appreciate care. It. Take care now.
Uh, that is it for us, folks, on Roland Martin Unfiltered here on the Black Star Network. Don't forget to download the Black Star Network app on all available platforms. iPhone, uh, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Xbox Smart TV. Also, be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. You can give to us via, and our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans, giving about 50, average of 50 bucks each. $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day for compelling content you're not going to find anywhere else. Cash App is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is RMartinUnfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Folks, that's it. I'll see you guys tomorrow right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. I'll see y'all on fan base in less than 30 minutes. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 